once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get our site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale, and let me go through who is with me here today. Joining me is Josh Torres. Hi, hello. Adam Vitale. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. Chow Min Wu. Hello. And joining us, I believe, for the first time, we have Scott White. Howdy. How's it going? It's, yeah, it's going well. And uh, Scott, we have mentioned on the podcast previously, he has written some of the reviews for the site early in the year, including Monarch and the Final Fantasy uh, Pixel Remaster reviews. And the reason we have asked him to join us on the podcast this week is for the game of the week that we will be starting off today. And that is, of course, Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. So this game has been a topic of the podcast since its announcement, going from the, you know, almost the meme status announcement of the game with all the chaos and all that stuff surrounding that and going into like actually like an earnest eagerness to see how exciting this game might actually be. And now we're here and Scott was obviously happy enough to write the review for that. So we will just start off with handing it off to Scott to talk about Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. So, okay, Scott, uh, I guess I have to start out with basically saying, like, when you approach this game, I don't know if you were eager to play it because you had history with the Neo series or you had history with the Final Fantasy series or you just thought the game looked endearing or basically what was your mindset when you first sat down to play uh, Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin? Sure. So going into it, I'm a big fan of the Neo games. I, I've loved I love Neo one and then all the improvements they did with Neo two. I love that. And of course, huge, huge Final Fantasy fans. So coming uh, to Stranger of Paradise, I was kind of I would I, for a good long while, especially after the initial announcement, I was kind of hesitant. It's like, I don't know how this will be. But when the first demo release and I got to like try the combat. That's what really sold me on the game. So really since that first demo came out, I was like, okay, I think this could be a lot of fun. Just the gameplay really hooked me. Um, I didn't try the second demo cause I wanted to just, I was, I just wanted to play the actual game. I didn't want to spoil myself or, or whatnot. So diving in, I was going from a very like op, uh, optimistic, like excited to play it mentality. Um, coming from mostly the the neo side of the things because like yeah yeah i mean that makes sense because uh i think many of us here had really high opinions of especially neo 2 i know i think on at least my list and maybe adams as well was our top game of that year so knowing that even though it wasn't the same team behind it uh but it was from the same developer but that there was a we also had some discussions about the uh the demo as it released, and I believe both Josh and James have played through both that demo as well as the uh, retail release just now. So we'll see uh, their existing opinions as well. And there, this was ended up being like one of the most anticipated games of of the spring for us. Uh, as speaking generally, um, I have it purchased, but I haven't started it yet. And I know that Adam has aspirations of getting to it as well. So. Uh, I actually want to go through and say, like, have you you recently played Final Fantasy one through the pixel remasters or did you only play four yes. through six? Nope, I did one through three and then four through six. Yeah. 
All right. Now I'm going to ask a silly question. Like how much does this actually tie into final fantasy one or is it kind of like a complete reimagining that feels pretty divorced from it? It, it, it is. I wouldn't say it's fully divorced. It very much sets up the, um, it is both a prequel as well as an alternate telling. Uh, it, it's really pretty interesting, but in general, um, it adds a lot of kind of fluff and uh, kind of science fiction-y mumbo-jumbo um, to it, but it does serve as a prequel, and it does set up, um, especially the ending, which I won't necessarily go into, but it does set up and lead directly into the original Final Fantasy. So this is the origin of all Final Fantasy games, Stranger of Paradise. Yeah. Yep. You heard it here first. It's true. Jack uh, invented the Final Fantasy theme. As we Jack know, is the father of Final Fantasy. It's pretty good. It's true. It does do some interesting things to try and put all of the Final Fantasy games into like a singular, multi-dimensional, traversed well, universe. To be fair, it's far from the first off to do something like that i mean obviously this is the decidia team which yeah. did that like over a decade ago so yeah, yeah that's what i was going to get at. it's um so it's by team ninja but it's not by the neo team do i have that correct it's by the decidia team yep. yeah it's, it's just you have to be careful because they always they market it as saying like from the studio behind Neo, but then you have to be like careful and be like, actually, the city of team. So I want to make sure. Yeah, it is. Clear. It is. Yeah, it is easy to make that like connection because the way they laid it out is sort of like how Neo did it, where they had like a like an alpha test or like an alpha, you know, release of it, and then from that, it's like they actually had like a a pretty comprehensive survey of like, okay, what did you like? What did you dislike about this? And that was very much at the same. The very first Neo. Of like, yeah, it's both by Team Ninja. The way they started like laying out their games, like, hey, well, have you like test an early build of it, and then you tell us, you know, what what you liked and disliked about it, and then they make substantial changes to the final product from that. Like, they actually listen to the feedback, and you know, and as we've seen from the Neo games and now to this, it's like it's really paid off in the long run for how these games have come together in development. So, paint a picture for me who hasn't booted this up yet. Um, so Neo 2, I've only played Neo 2, I haven't played the original. It is a Souls-like, sorry to use that term, but it's very segmented into like individual chapters that you select from a menu. In Neo, it's uh, maps of the different um, time periods. Is Final Fantasy Origin, I guess I'm going to, what should I, I, I want to figure out like a short, a short hand to call it. Is, is Stranger, is Stranger uh, set up the same way where you're like selecting missions from from a menu where that you can then yeah. replay yep it's all mission based like you get you have a mission select screen kind of like a world map with different little um missions that you can select very in the same similar style as neo was you select it you complete the main mission and then once that's done usually one sometimes two side missions will unlock once you finish a a area's main mission yeah. all right so that sounds progress. very similar to neo yep. yeah you'll, you'll be right at home with like the interface because it'll, it'll have like the final fantasy one map overworld like on it and then you'll just see like little nodes saying okay you can go to here it's like a stage mm-hmm. so, uh, you'll be right at home uh, i know some people that. are like really into like having to have this like diegetic i don't know i kind of like the arcadey setup of more like just having bespoke <laughs> 
selectable missions rather than having everything like you know we all we all enjoy having our open world games whether they're elden ring style or horizon forbidden west style but i don't know there's something about just have more arcadey setup like that that i actually do kind of enjoy mm-hmm. yeah uh, i agree with you i mean i just like uh, sometimes i just want short uh, gameplay burst sessions and then that's it's really uh laid out in a way that's uh, that fits that style um and because it's easy, like, say, for Elden Ring, like, it's easy to, like, say, I'm only going to play for 30 minutes and then three hours pass by. It's like, oh, shit. You <laughs> know? And that's fine, too. But it's one of those, like, well, I had other things, too, but all right, I guess. I mean, like, I enjoy Demon Souls setup of having the, yeah. like, the Nexus and just selectable missions from there, too. So even from Softstone, that. Yeah. So. And, 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 we, yeah, and the, the, the way that, you know, like, Stranger, like, just goes beyond, like, you know, that setup, but, like, the way the gameplay flows, like, you'll be, like, like it's easy to say like Neo is a Souls like and yeah yeah like it's definitely it definitely initially drew inspiration from that but the way you play those games are you know vastly different Neo is very much more aggressive in your face like yeah you're you're usually sacrificing you know defense to go on the offensive a lot while while the uh, Souls games you're you're more it's more a more slower paced game even when you're playing it aggressively while Neo and Stranger are just like you're. You're at it constantly. You're you're at full throttle when you want to go. And there's so much more of an emphasis on gear. It's almost like a Diablo or a Path of Exile. Like that gear is so much a bigger part of these like Stranger or Neo's gameplay loop than your traditional Souls game. Well, I remember so, in Neo. Oh, sorry, I thought you were at the end of your conversation. No. But uh, at the, I remember in Neo, I would almost have to like set up on like earmark time to be like, okay, I've done three or whatever number of missions. I literally have to spend 30 minutes at the blacksmith to like go through my gear. Like, and it had the different systems for like augmenting, which attributes were on your gear or like which of those, which bonuses they had. And it it almost became like a gameplay mechanic in itself to be like, okay, I, I I can still hear like the Smithy sound effects because I spent so much time there in Neo. The thing is though, is usually when there's that degree of, I don't know if you guys will feel similarly. Usually when there's that degree of micromanagement, my eyes kind of like glaze over and I'm like, oh, I wish this was streamlined a bit. But in Neo, for whatever reason, I didn't have that response. And I know we're talking about Stranger of Paradise, but not Neo. But I'm wondering, like when you were doing the item management in Stranger of Paradise, was it engaging and enjoyable or do you kind of wish it was a little less, uh, a little less cumbersome, a little bit more streamlined? It's one of those things where when you're playing through the story, even on like your standard difficulty, which in this game is just called action, uh, you really don't have to, you can rely on opt. Like there's an option when you go into your equipment settings um, for like the PlayStation is just, you hit the center pad and then it optimizes equipment. You can get through the main game, just optimizing equipment, whatever's the best as you go, just optimize. You really don't have to worry about, tweaking gear, raising the stats, or swapping in bonuses, things like that, until you get to the post-game. Once you get there, that's when you have to start worrying about optimizing your gear sets, or optimizing your job gear, um, your your party members' gear, all of this to really take on the, the more difficult challenges. Up until then, you can rely just on um, optimizing equipment. It's just, there is... So much gear. You get so many drops. And I mentioned this in my review. It's it's overwhelming. 
even for someone who's grown up playing Diablo and loves Neo, loves Path of Exile and whatnot, it's just there is so much gear you get so quickly from the get-go that it just becomes overwhelming. Now, is most of the gear like worth it, or do you end up just like vendoring or whatever the equivalent is? So I don't know if there's like you salvage it there's or vendor a it. Or... You can dismantle it, which will give you uh, like resources that you can then use to improve the different stats right. on very a weapon. Neo like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very neo like in that regard. Yeah, and and like as you're going through the game, like you know everything like pre post game stuff, like. Uh, to, uh, like I've I've noticed over time that like your gearing at the moment doesn't really matter too much. You just want like gear that's like on your level because like level disparity like is a big deal in this game. Like say if you if you're at a at a level like say like the average level is like fifty four for that level, and your like gear is like level like forty nine or fifty like but they have good affinity bonuses that won't really serve you in the long run even if it like they, it's like a good like synergistic build because. Like the numbers just won't make sense to really justify it. Like at some point, you're just gonna have to like accept, like, okay, I'll do suboptimal sets that at least, like, you know, are on the level so I can like at least do decent damage and take hits when I take them in. Like, you never want to be at a point where it's like, I'm taking on this level 54 stage, but I have like this level 49 gear set. Like, even though it has good affinity bonuses for me, I'm still, it's still taking a long time to like kill mobs. Well, I, the, uh, this is with the caveat that I've only played this game on hard. I haven't touched story difficulty or action difficulty. I've only touched hard difficulty because that's better loot and like I just enjoy the combat more when things aren't like e- immediately exploding. How hard is hard? Um, not too hard, actually. Like it's just it's just like inflated health pools and like things do a little bit more damage. But well, like, honestly, it's not like I don't think are- it's like hardest difficult. There are uh, some mechanical dif- uh, differences. In uh, hard, you start off with uh, two MP bar chunks. Um, I believe that's not the same if you play on action or story mode. I actually kind of uh, like that, where it has like some physical differences rather than just being like enemies have 50% more health and you deal 20% less health or whatever, where they actually like scale the difficulty in ways that aren't just tweaking numbers. Yeah, uh, the, the, there's some other stuff there. Like if you like, I think if you go it's like through story difficulty, there's like a like a, a casual mode you can do uh, activate that on that as well. That like you know, if 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 you want to go, just breeze through it, uh, then by all means you can uh, turn all those settings on, and that's fine. You know, but 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 for me, I'm just like I I like seeing high numbers and seeing a lot more like rare loot, and it's 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 fine. Like uh, like. The, the it does drop a lot of like fucking equipment and like you do have to take the time to empty it out because there are there are storage limits like your overall storage if you place things in storage I think it has like a cap of, like four thousand but like the like your on on hand pouch is like five hundred so I've definitely ran into a case where like it'll say oh you're already capped out on equipment because I didn't really like dismantle all that much earlier on. And I'm like, oh, like, oh shit! I have to go take the time to like go to the smithy and like break down all this shit that I don't need. It feels so, it's uh, like I, I. Sorry that I keep bringing this up, but I'm like, yes, yes, mm-hmm. I rec- I remember this from Neo because it yeah. feels so. Yeah, it, the way it, you guys it, are describing it feels just so like in yeah. the same space. It is a hundred percent Neo with a Final Fantasy face. 
Yeah. And that, 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 like, I know you guys are talking about like how it's an overwhelming one. But it kind of excites me. I'm sure like once I see yeah. it, I'll be like, oh, yeah, this, I remember <laughs> spending 30 minutes <laughs> here. And like, yes, it's, it's kind of fun to micromanage, but also I just kind of want to fight shit. But it does make sense that you say that the most important thing is just to make sure that your gear is on par with your level rather than trying to figure out the perfect mix of attributes to mesh with the way that you want to play the game. Yeah, I, I think the, the the main thing that really sets us apart from Neo is the the job skill tree system mm -hmm. in this game. Um, like you know, with Neo, you had like the uh, the obviously the three stances to vary your play style, but also like the 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 different uh, weapon trees in Neo. While in this game, uh, just like in Final Fantasy fashion, you have like the classic like job advancement system. So like your additional jobs are like sword fighter, pugilist, mage. And then uh, as you advance through those skill trees and those skills just like organically level up, like you're not, you're not even thinking about leveling them up. They just kind of happen um, as you're playing the game. Um, like uh, you're just constantly getting like job points as you're um, playing with that class. And then eventually at the end of their skill trees that do branch, like um, there'll be like nodes that say, okay, you can unlock uh, this advanced job, like you just listen to Monk or um, I forget the other one it evolves into. Thief, I want to say, yeah, it's like the, the yeah the thief, um, and the for some for some of those job advancement nodes, like if you want to unlock the thief class, you need to have like the bandit and like the pugilist class, like both reaching that same node to unlock the thief class. Uh, so the, there's, I, I was I was surprised because there's a big, there's a big emphasis on, uh, like, specking to multiple classes and trying out like almost every class. Because you really, because you know, you, you want to have options. You want to see how the other classes play. So it really encourages that instead of just like hard specking into like, okay, I'm only, I'm only going to be the pugilist into monk into whatever. Because at some point you have to switch to another class to get to that monk node or to the, for the tyrant job, you need to like go into another class. Like I had to like go into spell casting for a bit and go mess with like uh, blah, like you know, the mage and then the, the sage to unlock that class because the the way it uh, it handles like it you imbue like magic into your fists in that class so it makes sense to level that up but i i was surprised that like okay this game really encourages you to try out like all of its job systems not just like hard spec into like a a, a set path and i really like that yeah one thing and i think that's also worth noting is that uh, sometimes pieces of equipment will have uh, affinity for specific jobs and if you have those uh armor pieces equipped even if you're not using that job you'll be accruing xp for it slowly as you're um, going through the game so like even like even little tricks like that and also the fact that like you'll get like anima like shards every time you finish a stage whether it's in single player or co-op or whatnot and you can like bend those to get xp for specific jobs so even if you just hardline focus on one specific type of playstyle, by the time you're done with the game, just passively, you're going to max out most of the jobs. And I really like how that works out. It makes it what really is easy. what is an anima shard? Um, oh, an anima shard is uh, basically like a like a consumable that you get, uh, and then you can use those anima shards to get uh, job experience for uh, for a class. So. You go to like the job tree and like say I want to level warrior, 
but like it's at level one and i want to uh, play with all like the other skills that it already has so if you have anima shards on ham you can just like slam down like say like 10 of those and then you get like a a crap load of job experience for that warrior class so you can begin to unlock like nodes in its skill tree immediately so it's just a, a way to like just immediately like level up classes uh so you don't have to like ride them up uh, manually from like square one well, that seems like it jives with the idea of wanting to encourage leveling multiple classes. Yeah. And again, with the Neo, I'm like the way that the weapon like in that in that game, it basically is based on there are no bespoke classes. It's just which weapon you have equipped and how they scale with your different attributes. And mm-hmm. maybe I just wasn't adventurous enough, but I only ever really used one weapon type because you would kind of learn the different uh, you would. I forget exactly what it's called, but it had the skill tree specific to the weapons that would unlock your different stances or uh weapon arts or whatever they're called in that game i forget and because of that like if you did want to try another weapon you would have to start at kind of square one yeah exactly (laughs) yeah that's i think that's where it really diverges from stranger and neo it's just like this one you're you're encouraged to do multiple while neo i agree with you that like it it definitely pushed you like hey go pay go pick a weapon but you're gonna stick with that weapon unless you really want to start over and uh learn another weapon but you have to like manually go through the its paces again so this might be in the uh in opposition to that idea but i do want to ask just because i'm curious the so the three people that have played this game significantly so far scott josh and james like what class you have i guess jived with the most i'll start with scott like what class did you end up playing as uh for the majority of your time in in stranger yeah um i really really liked thief um a class that can use both fists and daggers and punching things I just feel is really good in this game. Um, And the other class was really uh, just kind of whatever I needed to level up at the time. So my main class was definitely Thief. Um, And then towards the end, it was Swordsman, which was like like a great sword using class. Um, and one of the nice things about each class is each class has a unique ability all its own. Um, like the duelist, which is kind of the basic job, basic dagger job that you have right at the beginning. Its ability is called weak spot, which you press it and it, the attack automatically does a critical hit. Um, thief. That's, that's, you can that steal seems nice. Bit. Yeah, it's super nice. You don't have to be kind of behind it the enemy to deal with critical damage um the thief lets you grab and basically you can absorb an ability certain abilities from enemies and then hurl them back thief it lets you steal said ability without having to have that ability cast at you and absorbed so that i found that really really helpful plus then just being able to to punch uh dudes from behind was it sounds like you just like punching people (laughs) yep Punching people's uh, that and daggers. That was my main thing. I also um, Ronin, one of the uh, katana wielders, was really good too, because of their uh, countering abilities. But yeah, thief would be my was my go to class. How about you, Josh? Uh, I've been really, really liking the feel of punching in this game. So I've done pugilic, pugilist into monk into tyrant. Uh, the way that this like this was like one of the few games that really nails the feeling of like punching things apparently so <laughs> punching things yeah here. yeah there's like a really nice well punchy feeling every time you like do an attack with it and like the, 
the strings are fast, they're fluid. Um, and then like and then if you need to go to on the, the defensive, like it'll it supports, you know, instantly uh dodging out of like combo strings or like the or going on the defensive but blocking. So like it's all very responsive, it's all very fluid. I enjoy it a lot. Um I, the ability that I like uh just as a supportive one is uh amongst a chakra ability, which uh lets you uh get rid of all debuffs on you if you uh, instantly even if you're silenced so like say if you're going against a marlboro and you get hit by a bad breath you're like okay no no sweat i'll just do chakra and then all those debuffs are gone so that that's been uh my class of choice uh for the most part uh for secondary classes i've I've just been doing whatever like needs to be uh you know unlocked for other jobs so i've done a little bit of spell casting which has been nice done a little bit of um swordsman uh just a little bit of everything i haven't really touched like the the spear classes yet i had to do that um but it's just it's it's really cool to see like how how well they've translated like iconic final fantasy job classes into like a really responsive action rpg and 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 you can still feel like the identity of that class as you play through them i guess i wasn't expecting scott to explain that the thief can kind of like use enemy abilities because then i would think naturally blue mage but um maybe that's just the way like are there i guess well, well, I mean, it, it's inherent to the game regardless of your job that you can actually like copy certain enemy abilities yeah that's just like enemies oh okay. yeah like there's like three different types of attacks that enemies do there and it's based off of the color of the banner which uh, pops up when they start casting it so like if it's an orange ability you you either want to dodge or soul uh, shield it if it's a purple ability, if you soul shield it, you'll actually copy that ability. And if it's a red um, banner, you just have to dodge. It's an unblockable. Yeah. And James, uh, I guess while you're going on, what uh, what was the class that you ended up playing as? Um, I will just say that Sage is the square hole of uh, Strangers of Paradise uh, Final Fantasy Origin in the sense that it is kind of overpowered as hell. <laughs> I'm not sure if you ended up uh, trying Sage, uh, Scott, but no, not really. I didn't dabble too much in um, magic. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like any any class can feel overpowered in this game if if you uh, synergize it like uh, hard enough. So, like uh, for example, my one of my friends uh, uh, is doing like a, a punch uh, class, but he has like the Berserker Stagger affinity on it, and and then he has like Regen up and defense and Mighty Guard up. So all he's basically doing is like putting Mighty Guard up and regen, and then he has like uh, affinities that not only um, let him stagger more easily, but also he gains more MP per hit. So all he has to do is basically press R1, and he has them in, uh, the enemy in like almost permanently staggered, uh, and just, uh, just constantly just a barrage of punches endlessly. He's just carrying them from one room to the next room, just and, and like not, he's unstoppable, you know? Uh, like like Tonberry's Cactuars, like n- like nothing faces him. If he gets grabbed by, by like an ogre, that's no big deal because Mighty Guard is on. So like, if you get inventive enough, like any class can feel overpowered uh, with the way that you wanna wanna play, and that's kind of the beauty of this game. Where like you're not you're not hard locked into like a class. Like you have to like do this class to overcome this thing. Shit. Sure, there will be like enemies like Flans, for example, that like are resistant to physical attacks. But even like a build like that, you know, like. It's it's not really doing any damage to you, so who cares if it takes a little bit of time to like uh, kill, you know? So it's that that it's so cool that like no, nothing in the game is like 
telling you, hey, you have to be a certain class. It's always telling you, it's always like, hey, play the way you want to at your own pace. Well, yeah, I always kind of thought, go ahead, Scott, go, you go first. One thing I have to compliment is, and I don't know um, if you guys felt the same, your party members, I feel, are competent. Like, they're pretty good. They're yeah. okay. Yeah, they're okay. decent. Um, and as long as you're remembering to constantly, uh, like, activate their... Uh, the resonance stuff yeah, so they use their yeah. abilities more often. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, they're right. But yeah. The one thing I use them really a lot like, in boss fights. Yeah. It, like, there's... Basically, it's like a cooldown in 14. Pop it when it's ready. Yeah, and, 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 you'll, and you'll notice that, like, but most of the things that I really like about this game, because I'm a gameplay over story type of person, that's what I really like about this game, is, like, the story is very much on the secondary back end, while the gameplay is first and foremost, like, really good. So, like, I, like, I, I'm kind of, I'll forgive it for, like, any uh, misgivings that, like, like, the story to me is hilarious. Like, the way oh, story yeah. cuts are, the, the, the way they're choreographed, the way their composition, the, like, how, how weirdly brief and to the point they are of, like, I love it because I'm just, like, like it gets it gets through that faster. It's like, okay, just cut the bullshit. I just want to play. And, like, it fully understands that. And, like, and in a way, that makes Jack and his whole crew charming to me. Like, I really like Jack as a character because... Like, it, it, like this game has an option where it get, it, uh, you can have subtitles of the sound effects on, and man, those are really, really good because you'll Amazing. have all sorts of flavors of like sound effects of like where they have to like switch up the wording. So you'll have like like fifty different variants of like Jack, Jack angry grunting and like a different word, like you know that the subs for that are like different words, of, like <laughs> exasperated sigh. You know, <laughs> it's like really good because yeah, there's so much of that in this game. It's like so just weirdly like. If there's like any filler like air in between conversations, it's usually someone, usually Jack, like doing like an angry grunt or sigh or ugh, you know. <laughs> just like it's so good. It's so All good. Right. Let's let's talk about the story a little bit because obviously uh, the same seems good. Hot hot take. I actually kind of enjoyed the story. <laughs> so obviously, when this game was first announced, uh, it was kind of like an endearing meme for how over the top and how brash and how like faux edgy like mid-aughts edgy it was and a weird kind of an interesting take on what a final fantasy story can be and then like the the, the limp biscuit phone and all the other stuff and uh you know the language after playing through the game how do you end up feeling about the, the tone of stranger paradise i'll start with scott um i it was passable like i didn't it didn't do much for me um, okay. I think the, yeah, it was, it, it was serviceable. Um, I, I am not a fan of Jack. Um, but it was like, the, like the gameplay was fun enough that I was like, okay, we'll be along for the ride. And it didn't overstay its welcome. Like if this game had been like a more Final Fantasy length experience, like a 30 hour, 25 hour, 40 hour long game, I'd be like, I never want to touch this game again. But because it's, I think you can comfortably get this done, get the, the story done on, in under 20 hours. Um, it, it was fine. The ending had, or the last third of the game, I would say was the most interesting. I was enough of the kind of mystery was there for me to be like, okay, I kind of want to see where this goes. Um, but I think the first half where it follows more of 
what the original Final Fantasy was, like story wise, um, was was the weaker part. But so you think the the, just, the brevity of the game was kind of almost to its benefit in terms of story? Yeah, it, it, it's like I I definitely see where the the meme aspects come from, but the whole chaos thing and who cares if you were getting your memories, like all like the arguments, especially that Jack has just it quickly for me anyway, it quickly devolved from the haha, this is so funny into, I know you've said this like 50 times at this oh, point. It got old. Well, it sounds like you and Josh are kind of on the same page where you're just like, the story is whatever, but that's not what I'm here for. Yeah. Like that like, it's like, it's stupid. Like at, at times it's fun, but like, it's not like, Anything groundbreaking or shattering, you know, it's just like it's like yeah, you know, the, it, it's 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 there to provide enough context for me to just like punch, continue punching yeah. things. I I feel like the odd man out because it's like you're right that like the game is very much gameplay first for the majority of the playtime, but it's like, and I wouldn't even say that the last third is story heavy. More so like the last like last like three missions you just get a ton of cutscene dumps yeah <laughs> kind of funny um i will say that i i do understand that the story is very much going to be a love it or hate it sort of thing or i guess in this case there's also the uh contingent of folks where it's just like yeah i don't really care either way uh i think that the well, the story gets props from me for making the Frank Sinatra song fit perfectly when they finally played it at the end. <laughs> I don't know if I um, want to poke at that because I kind of want to experience that for myself. Because... Yeah, no, it, it's it's impossible to explain. Well, you can't explain it. I don't want to. But, yeah. but yeah, explaining it would just make it sound way dumber than I feel like it's handled <laughs> like in the game itself. I'm not sure Scott feels the same way, obviously. But it, I, I was very surprised when that song came up and it's like, Damn, they actually made it fit. <laughs> I I think of my my feelings on like this like this overall story is like is perfectly summed up in like like two cutscenes I've seen so far. One is when you meet the dark elf for the first time and he's about to go on and explain about like, the history of the dark elves. And Jack is like, "Look, I don't care. Just tell us about the crystals. That's all. That's all we're here for." And the other one is when you when you go uh, face against the lich in uh, the Earth Temple, uh, and then. Like the the lich is about to like go on and say who the who the fuck it is, and then Jack just cuts it off and says, "I don't care who the fuck you are," and, and tries to fucking punch it immediately. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> exactly. This uh, feels like I, 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 the way you're describing like, it almost feels like those YouTube like a bridge series sort of comedy, which are kind of like yeah. Which can be funny if executed well, but can also be done like really bad. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And, and to me, it's it's like it it, it works because I was like I think this word uh, Scott and I diverge is like like I I, I like ja Jack as a character because he's so dorky. Like it, like even outside of the cutscenes, you'll have like uh, interactions between the, between the characters during during the stages, and they're like there's one memorable one to me when you're going through the through the flying fortress. And like Je uh, him and, ha and Jack are having a conversation, Jed and uh, Jack. And then uh, there was a certain a certain point where like uh, Je Jed is like like why are you like this? And Jack's like I don't know. I'm just like this. He's like he's like I, I guess you're helpful. Dot dot dot. Sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> my, yeah. There's like Sorry. moments like that, and it's like 
I know people get hung up on the fact that, like, they even outright said, like, well, normally even outright said this is a story about a very angry man. But angry doesn't mean that he is necessarily, like, mean-spirited, which is yeah. funny. Because there's, like, outright moments where, like, the party interactions in the dungeons are, um, are amazing sometimes. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there, there's one, like, between him and, I think, Neon, where he out, where Jack outright says, look, I, I'm sorry if I'm abrasive. I, it's just how I am. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's kind of the weird charming part about Jack is like, it doesn't really manifest in like proper story cuts. It's like, it's only if you take the time to like read like the, the dialogue between them in those like brief conversations that like are total one-offs, like very easily missable. And it's like, okay. He's know. a simple minded man, but he knows what he's, what he is. And he, he doesn't, he means well, he means well. And that's the thing I, I, I appreciate about it. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, like it's uh it's it's uh, like I know a lot of people like that despise the game because like I already hear some people it's like oh it's a, it feels like an anti Final Fantasy game and like being a parody of a Final Fantasy it's like yeah it's yeah. great <laughs> yeah, it is hundred awesome. percent a parody but <laughs> I'm not even sure if I would say it's a parody I feel like the game is way more sincere than people let on and I think the uh, best a parody doesn't doesn't mean it's insincere that's the thing like a parody can't be sincere. Uh, you're uh, right but i definitely feel like a lot of the people calling it a parody are trying to say oh it's unintentional in the way like it with its tone but no i mean it knows exactly what it is it's very intentional with the with the sorts of feelings it's trying to to elicit and i do appreciate that yeah one of the uh, early funny things uh as i was going through this game uh before i started it uh since i i downloaded it on the for the, the pc version so i got the epic games launcher and everything installed for it um and after figuring out like why isn't my controller working with this game it's like oh i had to like unplug my arcade stick from my controller input to start working um i went to like the settings option i went to the brightness options i'm like you know it's your standard like oh uh put it up till you can see like you know see the images dimly limit lit or you can barely see the images and i'm like i kept on raising that slider and like there were no images popping up at all i'm like all right, I'm already at max slider brightness, and there's still no images in there. I'm like, am I am I insane or did I go blind? I'm like, I have no idea. And like, I, I kept asking, like, are there any images? They're like, I, I don't think so. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, I'm not going insane then. So you so, played it on the PC version? Yeah, I played the PC version. I know a lot of people have been have been having problems with it. It's not a great PC port by any means. Uh, luckily, my 3080 and 5900X have muscled through most of the problems. There are still problems with like if there's like a lot of like heavy particle effects, or just like it, uh, or these are crowded up in general, where like the game will like really dip down to like like 10 to 15 FPS like at brief moments, where it's just like oh fuck. But like most of the time, it runs pretty smoothly, like at 120 FPS for me. Um, and, but I, I can't imagine like how the game would respond. Let's say if like if there were three sages that cast like Ultima at the same time. Like I don't know what happens to my computer or any console for that matter if that happens. It's like it's like that. It's like four it's sides. Like, yeah, it's like you remember you remember Dragon's Crown and like the the sorcerer class in that game had like a big meteor move and I like remember that game. Yeah, and that meteor move would just like cloud up everything. You couldn't see shit, and then on the PS2, like it would like lag the console. And like if you had three of them casting it at the same time, it's like, well, 
this game's done. It's over. Yeah, that, uh, that's basically ultimate. Yeah, that's basically yeah. yeah. So I haven't uh, seen about that. What exactly what happens there? I, I hope someone out there tries it. I'm very interested yeah. to see the results. But so like, you know, outside of that, uh, for me, uh, it's been running fine. Obviously, the the cutscenes are, are are hard locked to 30 fps. So like there really because yeah. there were some cutscenes that were definitely sixty. There there, there there are some like 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 that use the in-game engine, but like say like the ones that are like story sequence, like with the king early on, like that. Ah, that's what you mean. That's what yeah, you mean. yeah. Yeah, the, the that is just that always gonna be thirty fps no matter what, and, no. and 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 it always looks crummy too because like like the shadows always look like shit in those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this is need some work. Yeah, you know, this is actually a good opportunity because I think, because Scott, you played it on PlayStation or, well, PS5, yep, right? PS5, yep. Yeah, so I played it on Series X. So, um, the whole entirely discounting the uh, last gen versions, which I, I've, I've seen pictures. Don't play this on last gen. It should run better, but if you're listening to this, don't play this on last gen. I, I've seen, yeah, I've seen my, my friend play through like the PS4 performance mode of this game, and it just looks like pudding man <laughs> it, is, it is very oh, yeah oh. like this is this this is a very fun game it's great it it should be running better than it does like especially considering this is the same engine as neo 2 it does not look nearly as good as neo 2 but it runs so so much worse it's like god not to mention, like, all the issues with, with uh, like, brightness. Like, I had the same issue on Xbox, mm-hmm. where it's like, I went into the brightness settings, and it's like, these are the same picture. Nothing I did. <laughs> it's just, it's just a black screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's just, like, there are, like, usually it's fine, but then there's, like, a few levels where it's like, oh, I'm going into the menu, I'm setting the brightness to max, I don't care if it ruins the aesthetic, I need to see what the fuck Yeah, there, there are definitely levels, like, uh, say, early on, when you're trying to go meet the Dark Elf, like, like ascending that tower, there are definitely, like, you're traveling on rooftops, like, you don't even know where the floor is. Oh, and, it like, gets you, worse. Yeah, I, yeah, there are definitely later levels where it gets worse, where you just, like, you just can't see shit on where you're going. Um... So yeah, I mean, it is a game that is like it has its flaws. It's definitely some key flaws, but the for me the the gameplay is where it's at, and it feels very fun and fluid, and just they nailed the important things in my heart. Yep. Now, one thing that we talked about a little bit before release of the game is uh, the work that Andrea and Alex did about how certain regions of this game are inspired by other. Final Fantasy locales, even though they are representing, as far as I understand, Final Fantasy one locations, does that end up playing a big role in the game, or is it morally just kind of fan service in the classic sense? Okay, okay. So the game doesn't even really make an effort to hide it, but one of the uh, kind of winks and a not and a nudge that the game does is that these locations aren't just based off of other Final Fantasy locations; they are literally like modeled slash warped from those locations and then it's really weird because like you you load into a a level and it'll like load a fool's missive on the loading screen about that level and it'll say hey this level's from say dimension 14 or dimension 7 or dimension 8 Stuff like that, and that's just a code word for this is the Final Fantasy it's based off of. Oh, really? It's that explicit? Yep. Yeah. yeah. 
they're all from dimensions, which is the whole like, oh, is this like just all the Final Fantasies are tied through multi-dimensional things, and these people can travel between the the dimensions to these places. It, and again, and again, I think the people getting really angry about that when it's very clearly not the first time this has happened. Like, again, the city is a thing. It feels like kind of people looking for a reason to be mad when it's like, you can just ignore this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the first time this has happened. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the people don't like that. Like, these these universes aren't canonically connected, but it's like, yes or no, it doesn't really matter because we've already had these crossovers and several other games yeah pretty much so uh is every world feature in this game or or is there some left out um every mainline final fantasy is represented at least once one through 15 then yep yeah so i mean i, I guess right, that is uh, no, no, no spin no spin off games no crystal chronicles level Nope. nope. Final Fantasy Tactics level. Maybe, uh-huh. maybe we'll get some for the DLC because there is a season pass with like three uh, DLC packs coming. So maybe we'll get something there. So let's see. If you were to add a uh, a Crystal Chronicles location, what would it be? I don't even know much about the Crystal Chronicles series. What does post game look like in this game? Uh, unless it, unless that's tied to spoilers. No, it's it's, yeah, it's not, not really, really spoiler. a spoiler. Yeah, what what does post game look like? Uh, basically, it unlocks a new chaos difficulty <laughs> where all the levels are far more difficult, and you can unlock le- like basically limit level breakers or level limit breakers for all the classes to um, change the max level for each class from thirty to fifty five. And then you unlock each level by spending anima crystals. And then each level also has higher tier versions of themselves to allow you to progress up to item level or gear level 300. So it's pretty much replaying the missions to grind gear, to unlock the next level, to grind more gear, to get new job limits raised and rinse and repeat. Yeah, because I because I remember like in the marketing it says that like uh, there were I don't know if there were already raids or if they they're gonna add raids later on. Like I was wondering if that content was already in the game. Like, how does do raids look like in this game? Uh, I, I mean, the boss fights. Yeah, well, some boss fights have like very clear like mechanics to them. So I guess that's maybe what they were kind of going at. I, I'll I'll be honest. I have not really touched the post game in this because uh, I did get a review copy of a game that I've been working through, and it's like. I do want to do the post game because I legitimately have had enough fun with this game that I'm probably going to go for 100% mm-hmm. completion. Uh, but um, one thing that's neat that I didn't even realize was a thing, and the game doesn't point out, and maybe you didn't even notice this, Scott. Uh, there are hidden side missions that unlock through specific item pickups in certain levels that are hidden. Mm-hmm. You know how there's like um, stuff uh, like. Um, the Lufenian reports and the uh, yeah. fool's missives, which are basically just lore like pickups mm-hmm. and whatnot. Uh, there's some of those where a audio like clip plays. And if you there's four of those. And if you find all of them, there's like side missions attached to that. Interesting. Yeah, I did not know that. That's and cool. I do know I do know in like the Neo games, like the post games there would add like new tiers of gear 
in that game explicitly uh like divine and whatever the next one is exotic that like have different ways that you upgrade them and have different like itemization in terms of how you incorporate like the abilities and it actually was kind of fun but it was often tied to like the very souls like new game plus new game plus plus or i guess in that game they call it like way of the samurai way of the warrior way of the, whatever they're called does this well, game have a similar thing or is it just kind of like this of? chaos difficulty Sort of. Um, there are different rarities for equipment. Uh, as far as I know, there's nothing like Neo where you can take a specific equipment drop and then level it up, unfortunately, which is yeah. kind of a shame. But um, even before you reach New Game Plus, you can end up finding five star equipment, which is like a red equipment drop. And uh, one thing that's actually really neat about equipment, I don't think we talked about is that specific weapons will sometimes come with like built-in ability, like combo abilities that are exclusive to that weapon, which means that you can add it to your combo chain only when you have that weapon equipped. And some of those are really, really powerful. Yeah, the being the being able to customize your combo strings is a really, really neat feature in this game. And one thing that's really cool about it that I don't think a lot of people have brought up and maybe this is exclusive to the mage weapons but i do know like at least with the mage weapon the club that different like combo follow-ups like because the way it works is is that you can like press like on xbox for example you can press x a certain amount of times and then you press y for a finisher and depending on the well i'm sorry i changed it to you know uh um button setup so normally it'll be like R1 into R2. Uh, depending on what you set, those final like finisher attacks can have different elemental properties for mage weapons. So since different enemies have different elemental weaknesses, you can be like, okay, I'm going to finish on this attack if it's this enemy or this attack if it's this enemy. And, and each one like will that. have a different elemental configuration. That seems pretty cool. And like, I guess so. So mages are more like a hybrid class. I guess I wasn't expecting yeah. you to say that the mage weapon is a club. I like really, really like how mages work, because especially as you uh, go through the uh, job trees, you'll realize that the way that mages work, you can't just like stay away because you do not passively regenerate MP. You either have to go up and wail on the enemy with your club, which Honestly, the club's the club's move set feels good. It's not like a mage class where it's like it has a melee option, but it's like kind of like a, a last resort. A last resort or like a punishment. No, it feels good to wail on an enemy with a club. The uh the way it like the impact of the hits feels really nice. The animations look look meaty. And then as you deal damage with the club, you'll get MP back or one of the other things. And this is something that I really, really like about how the uh, game as a whole is designed is that, as I was mentioning earlier, like certain attacks, you'll want to soul shield and certain attacks, you want to dodge. And regardless of if you're playing with a mage or a melee class, your most powerful abilities require MP. And because of that, you're always going to want to either be damaging the enemy or soul shielding. Because if you soul shield an attack, you'll gain MP back, even if it's uh, not an attack that you can like copy. So there's a real balance about like if you want to be aggressive, you also well if you want to um, 
the game doesn't really let you play super passively because even if you're defending, you're gaining MP, which you can use towards attacks. And it really incentivizes you to like just get in there and like react to what the boss is doing and just like taking the initiative. And it makes it so that even if you're playing a mage class, you feel really, really active. And even like when I said like Sage is overpowered, the way that she even gets to ultimate, which is the ability that I'm talking about, it's like has this really interesting mechanic where you every time you use a black magic spell or a white magic spell, you get a sigil of that same color. And the more sigils you have, the faster your casts are. Or like, and when you're maxed out, you'll you'll default to the second tier magic instead of the first tier magic. And then once you have three of each, you can cast Ultima for no MP. But like everything combined, the fact that you're like constantly thinking, okay, well, I want to cast three of my black magic, three of my white magic, and you're trying to get the MP to cast those magic so you can get up to Ultima. Even though I feel like Sage is super overpowered, the way the game's designed really makes it so that you're still engaging with its systems. And like, regardless of all the issues the game has, like this is probably like one of my favorite like battle systems in an RPG in like forever. It is really, really fun. You sound like you're pretty high on it. And I'm you're making yeah. me excited to play it. I'm glad that it's not just like selecting magic from a list and saying well this is my strongest spell i'll just spam this because it's the best one i got been yeah, going there's on a lot of depth and complexity uh that you can like in neo the more time you put into it like if you really want to learn a class or kind of a a rotation you can definitely do that with stranger and it is it is a lot of fun like i am i'm super excited i want to play through the post and do a bunch of post game stuff with friends like, I want to play this game co-op. Like, that is... I'm very excited to really um, put time into that. Yeah, I've been well, playing I, a lot of co-op with friends, and it's been, all, it's been a blast. And that's actually what I wanted to go party. into, was how the co-op works. So I saw that uh, Josh was playing it a little bit earlier. I know we've been going on for Stranger a bit now, but maybe this will be the last time we talk on. Like, how does it feel to play the game in co-op, and how is that set up, Josh? Um, so basically, if you're the, if you're the host, um, you can uh, if you're on the overworld screen and you have a, like a selectable mission, whether it's a side quest or um, a main story mission, you can just like open up a room. Uh, like it's like a create a room option. You can select like which mission you want to tackle, and then uh, you can set it up so anyone can join, or it's invite only, uh, or it's like a private session. And then the two other people, there's your friends or just a random person, just joins it, and you you boot up uh, once everyone's ready. Um, you, you can still you can interact with like the like the bonfires, like the cubes in the game, and then like uh, as as the host, and then it'll like warp everyone back to like where you are upon activation. So everyone's like, uh, you know, the, sticking with each other, uh, and then uh, from there you can, uh, you know, do any sort of like job tree stuff, and then at any time you can do like uh, swap out equipment, and um. Like I think that the damage there's like some damage scaling, so like people aren't like one shotting things left and right if they're like massively uh over your level. So like everyone still has like you know is still having fun like doing their own contribution to like uh enemy damage. So it's an, it's been fun to just you know just roam around with friends and uh beating stuff up. Um, it's fairly simplistic in the way that it's uh, uh structured, but it doesn't have to be complex, and it's the, that's a nice thing about it and. It, it, everyone's still benefiting like you're still incentivized as like say like a a person far ahead to like you know help out like your 
underleveled uh, buddies because you're still getting you're still getting anima shards out of it, which is still a valuable resource for you to continue leveling up your jobs uh, and so forth. So you you still feel like you're you know still getting rewarded out of it, even though you're not you don't necessarily care about like low level equipment. You're just you care about the anima shards. You always do. Um, so that that's been a lot of fun. Um, as the if you're on the other side, if you're not the host, so you're not playing Jack, um, you're you're um, playing the other party members that the host has assigned. So they have like uh, Ash and Neon as their other party members. You depending on when you join, you're either Ash or Neon or that host, and then you still have like your equipment uh, effects on you and everything, but. Like it's not represented through like like the outward appearance of that character. That the outward appearance is whatever the host has set for the as the outward appearance for that character. But as for your equipment, there all those effects still apply. So you're playing as whatever class you want to play as, occupying like the physical space of Neon yeah. or or Ash or whoever. Ash that seems kind of yeah, cool. I mean, yeah. Rather, so. Even though I do like the idea of having like three different classes of Jack running around. Yeah, like, <laughs> that, yeah. That, that, that's the only other like small bummer is like it, your your finishers as the other character are very very like basic standard animation uh, finishers. While Jack has like the crazy over the top soul burst finishers, which yeah. I, I I I really love because a lot of them are just like so so disrespectful and irreverent to Final Fantasy oh, creatures. Oh yeah, so violent. Yeah. Like a, oh, like man. he does like he does like a backbreaker finish on us like a Sahagin, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, my favorite, my favorite one is with the Tonberries, where he just goes up to them and he just like, like, puts his hand on their head, and then you just see them start vibrating, and then crystals just burst out of every orifice, and it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah, it's crazy. Like, like every finisher Jack has, like, especially to the bosses, it's like it's so over the top and disrespectful. They're just Josh, like, I, Josh, I have you off. seen the zombie dragon one yet? Yes, I've seen this zombie yeah. dragon. Oh my god! Yeah, it's like oh man, just ten out of ten. <laughs> my favorite is the uh, boss fight where Jack just throws the dude's horse at him and the horse explodes. <laughs> oh yeah, yep the the Dark Knight one. Yep, that's my favorite one. Just uh, screw really? it, I'm just gonna chuck your horse at you. I wasn't yeah. expecting to hear someone a uh, battle finisher about a, a horse being chucked across the room and then subsequently exploding. But that seems very in, uh, in line with what this game is selling itself as. Yeah. Yep. Like, like it, it's funny in multiplayer because like, you know, you'll have like, like two boss phases and then like the, those phase changes happen roughly around like the halfway mark of a boss fight. But like Jack has to be the one to like do like the initiator for that second phase. So I, I, I always uh, call it as Jack time uh, when it has to be done. It's like, all right, it's, like, all right, it's Jack time. Well, we'll likely uh, wrap wreck around to Final Fantasy Origin Stranger Paradise. I know I said that backwards uh, next week as maybe more of us get further into the game or start playing it. But it was really awesome to have Scott on to talk about it. And I do also want to point out that, like I did earlier, that he did write the review for it up on the site. So if you want to see uh, his opinions in uh, written form, we do have that up. I believe it is the top cover of the site right now. So go ahead and give that a read if you're inclined, uh, though we will likely be revisiting uh, discussion on that game in subsequent podcasts, at least one. Maybe we'll talk about our favorite boss fights or our favorite um, uh, arenas or favorite locations exp- inspired by the other games. That's Jack time. <laughs> 
And then uh, there is another release that is coming out shortly in uh, this week, I believe, in the next couple of days uh, that we have talked about in the podcast previously. And that is the upcoming strategy mecha RPG Relayer. So I do believe that Josh has had his hands on the full version of this game after having touched the, uh, I don't know if it was a preview or a demo. Yeah, as a demo, but, a demo that the, that's like a public demo that people can try out and then all that, that saved data can transfer over to the full game. So I'll just hand it off to you, Josh. And now that you've been uh, having your hands on the full game of Relayer, uh, you've already kind of established like some of the uh, the groundwork about how the game plays and feels. But just now that you've been able to experience the full game, just uh, what are your thoughts so far? And uh, whether or not this you want to make sure that people are, you know, that this game, March has been a packed month completely. Yeah. And, this, and I don't want yeah. this game to like just fall under the radar or through the cracks. So just tell us about your time with Relayer. Yeah, I hope it doesn't. Like, I have spent like about sixty hours with the game, uh, and just uh, finally beat the main story uh, just uh, a little bit early, uh, like yesterday, as as of the time of this recording. And honestly, I I kind of dig it. Uh, I'm surprised by how much I really liked it. Um, it the, the just for people who forgot, like the basic story setup is that um, you're controlling uh, this uh, group known as the Star Children against like these extraterrestrial life forms called the relayers and the relayers uh are trying to like uh gain control of the universe uh, and destroy it because it's kind of like they're in their nature to do so um and so i i guess it's a weird comparison uh, like i don't know if anyone has seen like i, I guess it's more akin to like gundam either the original gundam or gundam seed but with term, in terms of, like new types and or coordinators where like they're like that like this is like uh like an like an evolved form of human that's like very attuned with space, uh. And the Star I've only Children seen are... the uh, Gundam Double Zero movie. Has, <laughs> I, I, like don't that. worry, I'm a Gundam expert as well. Uh, it's, it's okay. So you so Chai kind of gets mean. it. Yeah. Okay. And Scott kind of gets it. So we we are so, a bunch so, of Gundam nerds in here except me. So the the Star Children are the this uh, group where they inherit the will of the stars. So essentially, they have like. A personified uh, voice in their head that uh, is supposedly like the the star's voice, and they're kind of imbued with like, "Hey, I entrust my will to you to like protect like even the solar system and the universe from these relayers." So that's why a lot of the characters in this in this game are named after a star or a plant or you know planets or stars. Uh, you know, so you'll have like Mercury, uh, Venus, Terra, just obviously Earth, Mars, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, etc. And they they do count Pluto in here. I don't know if they count Pluto as a planet, but definitely a significant start to have its own representative. So Pluto well, represents. I feel like I'm being very nitpicky, but not, those aren't stars. What the heck? Those are planets. So they're sailor scouts with giant robots. Okay, and they're yeah, all star children. Okay, and then, and then you'll have like other stuff like like uh, the star of Sirius and the three and the three moons uh, are the three stars of Orion. Uh, Mint, oh, okay. Uh, Einalem and all right, so there are stars. I take it back. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're definitely, you know, the the scope is there. And then so uh, throughout the game, you're you're meeting them. And the the cool thing about this game is that it's like the first like chunk of the game is constantly like in conflict with one another. Like there's a lot of like uneasy alliances and like factions being divided because you know the initial group of star children that you have like aboard this uh, spaceship called the Asterism. Um, 
like there's only a few of them uh you meet early on and then as you go throughout the game you'll see that there are other factions throughout this you know, this uh world and this galaxy where like they have they're, they're serving different factions and different organizations all with their own like hit, like agendas like say for example like even within the earth faction like you know these star children are supposed to um help humanity fend off the relayers but even within that like uh faction there are already like some split ones where like there's like a faction of the earth faction or the humanity faction where they don't trust star children like you know humans are supposed to be able to forge their own destiny we don't want to like rely on like humans uh, or like rely on star children to be the ones to like you know like you know guide humanity like really just like inherently distrust them because they're like kind of like almost the chosen ones and like why should we um like rely on them for uh, for this so if you remember for people who like chow here who watch gundam seed they're kind of like that earth organization where they you remember the three druggies in that uh in that anime uh, uh, yeah the earth alliance there was yeah, the earth, earth alliance. alliance there was the there was saf and there was orb yeah uh, yeah that was basically yeah, so you, yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah you kind of have like an earth alliance like equivalent in this game where they kind of like like manufactured like their own pilots to kind of get the same performance as the star children because the star children star children are like really good pilots so like this faction for example like do like really really bad stuff uh behind the scenes to kind of get up to speed uh, with enhanced humans uh you know to represent and pilot for them and it's like all right but uh you know so like you'll have a lot of like cool like opposition in that end where like there'll be like some story segments are like oh that's weird i'm like controlling like for some for some instance like i'm controlling like uh characters that i just barely faced off against because like the this plot like is centered around them and they have like bigger threats so like you're not just confined to like your core group sometimes you'll go off and like play the other faction in some instance or a different faction uh on where the story goes and um and the the whole like groundwork of this like very early on is like the main character's name is tara um tara lost her sister at this gravity loss incident on earth where you know the gravity all of a sudden stopped working at a uh, section on earth and her sister uh like flew off into space and she couldn't hold her hand uh and uh, so she presumes like you know the sister is dead i'm kind of going a little bit over like what i've uh, talked about previously but just like get people up to speed and uh and ever since that incident, she lost all her memories of who she was before that incident occurred. So she's kind of like been living life, you know, uh, easygoing, like on the moon um, early on. And then until like, you know, a relayer attack happens and she kind of gets scouted by the asterism, uh, you know, to go fend off the, the threat and any other threat that uh, goes uh, against them. And the really, the, the thing that caught me caught off guard about this game is like when I was playing the, the demo that encompasses like the first few hours of the game, like for the first three to four hours or so, I was like, I don't know. This game is feels very generic and like uh, by the books, and you know, and I, I've already mentioned earlier on and in social media of like it's very front loaded with like its typos as well in the English script, where you'll just have all sorts of like um, misspelled words, uh, capitalizations where not they're, they're not supposed to be where they're at. And like the the whole stiff dry translation of the script was like things are just like being laid out, but like not in a very, very straightforward, dull fashion. And it's like I I don't know if I really dig this. 
But as I kept playing through the game, and like I want to say after the end of chapter two, like it was starting to go like in a really interesting direction where like more of these like segmented factions were all interfacing with another, and like there were actual like like real like you know significant relationships with like cast members in between these factions. Like oh why are like why are you in the opposition? Like what's happening? Like early on, one of the one of the things that you learn uh, is that oh Terra's sister. Uh, is alive, but she's for some reason siding with the relayers. It's like, what what's that all about? You know, so it's kind of like a tragic reunion of like a sister that she thought like you know that she lost, and now she's working for she's working for the enemy of mankind. Sounds uh, like there's all the mecha tropes off. Yeah, I was, it, I was, I was gonna say that sounds yeah, pretty tropey, yeah, but yeah, it, it is I very, it's very yeah, it is very me- mecha anime Gundam tropey. Like, but the way they handle it, the way they lay it out, is very like oddly endearing because as as you play the game uh and you kind of build like you get to know more about these characters and the way they interact it's like you kind of start falling in like not in love with the characters but like i started really digging like the the ensemble as a whole because they're very they're very good about like kind of livening up each other and learning more about the characters as they uh, as the story goes on like because some, because the characters like backgrounds are like so Weirdly interesting. Like one of the characters that you meet early on, Uranus. Um, she's like like a black market doctor <laughs> almost, and she and and she's like riddled with debt because of like of like experimentation she's done on like previous patients. And it's like, what the fuck is all, is that all about? You know, but she's on your side because <laughs> she's a star child. Well, uh, time to use the meme. I'm a doctor, but pulls a gun. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I like it's one of those things that's like it's hard to really talk about exactly what I like about it because like a lot of that is like filled in spoilers and I kind of want people to um see that for themselves because there are some like moments of, like the, the, it's so weird because like this 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 game is like this the English script is so weirdly all over the place because after like the the demo content where it ends, the amount of typos I saw in the script like drastically drop dropped off so it's like it's kind of weirdly competent from then on with the occasional typo here and there and like and a good chunk of it is like still that stiff dry translation but then there are other like later characters where they're like they're very lively and like the script reflects that and then like the way they interact with characters and how it's some conversations later i was like oh my like i'm actually laughing at like what's going on because like it, it's it's a pretty amusing what's going on with like how these developments and how these char- where these characters end up as time goes on because the the state of the game uh, really evolves over time and that that's that, that's the only way I can decent way I can put that uh, because of how these characters kind of evolve and it sounds like the demo left a very bad impression that's my take yeah it's like it's a really bad first impression like i i it's i, I agree and like for people who played the english on the english stuff have like have a more sour taste of it because like I, I I switched on the English dub on it for like a little bit and like and the, a lot of the line readings in, in English are like sadly very like monotone almost. It's very like uh, it sounds like they're clearly reading like just from the script and like not really you know very being very energetic about it. Not to say that like that reflects throughout every character, but like from you know the slices that uh, of of it that I got, I'm like I'm not really digging it, and like I've heard people from who played the English, the demo in English, it's like yeah, I'm not really digging the English dub. So and like it's weird because there are definitely some 
uh, characters in the like voice actors credits that are, like are very noteworthy. I don't know if I can actually reveal who they are uh, yet because obviously they they do so for. Uh, but it's it's not a cast of nobodies. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't know if it's like a voice direction type of thing or what the, or what the constraints were uh, in that end, but uh, the ja- the Japanese like uh, audio for this game like was is really good. Like I really like the the voice actors and their work on. Uh, this game for that because they're, they're very lively and energetic uh, in that aspect. Um, for for the gameplay itself, it's uh you know you, uh, I mentioned it's a mecha strategy RPG. It's uh as I mentioned before, it's it, it brings a kind of like a new flavor of uh, of uh, of that. It's not like Super Robot Wars or G Generation, not even like Triangle Strategy or uh, maybe a, a tiny bit of Fire Emblem, t- a tiny bit. But in this game. Everyone is um, assigned like four roles: an assaulter, which is a melee DPS; sniper, which is range DPS; tank, which is obviously tank; and scout, which is like your supporter healer class. So this, uh, you know, plays around with Holy Trinity a lot. And as you progress to the game, like one of my uh, like complaints about it is like the difficulty curve gets really, really stark, especially if you're not um, grinding. Um, I, I I did hardly any grinding as I, I as I played the game. Like, I sure I got to like the level thirty limit in the demo, but that falls off really quick um, as the uh, as you're following through the main story, and then you'll have like before you go to the main story segment, it'll say recommended level, uh, and then it, by the end of the game, I was like maybe like fifty to twenty levels behind like the recommended level, and I was just like playing through the game normally, trying to keep like my like my people like within the same like level range not like i never had like a squad because um throughout the game like your the pilots that you'll be using constantly changes especially, i actually enjoy uh, that yeah and, and 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 like there are definitely some like plot segments where like they force deploy you into like story-centric characters into like where character like characters that are like important to like that's like the constant like the current plot line so like you never want anyone to like feel like too to fall too behind on levels because of that. So it gets pretty pretty challenging, and uh, it, they do have like battle simulator missions where like you can like grind like uh, story stages that you previously beaten, and they're like the exact same stage. Like there's nothing new about them. It's just like hey, you can like redo the stage, except like you know, there'll be like a little bit higher level enemies, and then you can grind off of them. I'm like. In that that could appeal to someone. I'm not really big into like, oh, go grind here, find a stage that you already did. Uh, so I just went through it normally, and then the, like it's oddly, aside from the final boss, uh, it's it's oddly really uh, refreshing on how challenging the uh, like it gets when it's like when your back is against the wall and you're like, okay, I really have to think about like enemy aggro ranges and managing like aggro values on my characters every character has like an aggro value assigned to them and the higher that aggro value is the more likely they're to be targeted by the enemy so obviously tanks will have a lot of skills that uh spec into like hey i'll I'll raise my aggro value and maybe i'll raise my defense or attack or maybe i'll take away aggro value from uh, a nearby party member and yeah you and kind of absorb their aggro value into my own and so you're really playing around with um enemy like ai management of just like okay make sure you target the tank because they're the ones to to be able to take the hits uh when it matters the most while all the other characters need to like make sure 
to to do their part on um, supporting that tank and taking out the the threat. And the way this manifests in combat is there are two different sorts of like attack categories. Like you'll have like a, either a, a weapon that does physical damage or a weapon that does gravity damage. So that'll be represented by like icons on them. Uh, so aside from like their class, which is like say a, a, a tank has a sword or um, a support has like bits like from Gundam, like funnels or um, or like great sword users or I mean D- melee DPS users like two handed great swords. Like aside from that icon, they'll either be in yellow or in purple, and then that'll signify yellow is physical, uh, purple is gravity, and then uh, u- units that uh, have a certain category they do more damage to the opposite category. So physical does more damage to gravity, and vice versa. So you're strategizing of like which units you want to use to take out certain threats, and uh, and obviously bonus damage is bonus damage uh, on top of that. So yeah, so it's a it's a really interesting like management of like ca- pushing your own line like enemy lines like towards you and, and making sure that like you're peeling just enough and not the whole entire squad because you can get easily overwhelmed if everyone acts on you. So that's why this is very uh, meticulous like almost puzzle game of like okay I want to engage this squad first by while making sure that like it doesn't like aggro that other squad over there. So, because like it it gets pretty pretty tense because the like, enemies can easily like two shot like your party members like on a bad hit like oh they're they're targeting like the, a support or a healer they like one shot or two shot them because you you mispositioned. Is um, there um any punishment for losing your units in battle? No, there there's no permadeath. There's no sort of like uh, penalty. It's like you just can't use them for the rest of the battle, and so you know that's uh so that's not that's fine. Um. So that that's pretty engaging in its own way, and I, I really do enjoy that. I also I also enjoy that it's not it's not a lot of maps, but it does somewhat have like better level design in some parts than the Super Robot Wars series, especially recently, because a lot of maps in modern SRW games these days have like very big flat open maps, and it's like where anyone can really go anywhere. Like no, and like terrain like means very little. And it's like it's like yeah, it's fun, but it's it's not really really engaging with like the level design in itself. Um, while in the, in this game, there are like there will be some stages where there's actually obstacles on the field, so you so there'll be like walls and like fences or barriers, um, and you have to think about um, how do you like maneuver your your squad and enemies uh, in this like kind of crowded field. Like you'll be th- think about like choke point like potential choke points or like where can i funnel them into or there'll be like some levels where they're like you'll have two squads that are like separate from each other and like and then they're they're separated by like a, like a like a obstacle in the field and then you have to like kind of think about their two different compositions and how you want to interact with enemies that they both have to deal with separately so it does it does play around with that as well and that's really cool um as for like your composition and your classes this game does have a job system um where uh, you it, it's pretty cool how they uh present this at first like uh, uh, on its like on the surface but it it is a fucking nightmare to navigate so how they visualize this is every character has like this base tree that can branch off into two paths and they like You'll see like the icon for say like um, shinobi or for like uh, like a spell like a wiseman or uh, where like 
say like Shinobi as like uh, the sh- shuriken icon for it. So when you go switch it to Shinobi, like your your nodes are presented through constellations, but they sh- they they take the shape of that class. So you see like a constellation that looks like a shuriken, and it looks really cool. Like okay, that's a pretty neat way to like go about this because it's very you know astrology theme, very mm-hmm. like very centered about the stars. So obviously you know it makes sense, but the way they present this in English when you're trying to like get a lay of like okay what are like the nodes on this tree like the text gets very very crowded to the point that like uh, you don't know sometimes which scales correspond which with which node until you actually hover over that node so that at a glance view feels very disruptive and chaotic because like there's just so much text going on and you don't know which text corresponds with 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 which node at a certain point and then there'll be some times in that like text parsing where like you'll have text overlap with another text so you don't even see like the full skill name because it's overlapping with text from another skill that's nearby so it's just like it's and then the way you control it is with the left analog stick you can only follow the lines of that constellation and so you like you kind of get a sense of like okay this is where things connect with one another it's because sometimes it's not very clear about like where lines lead to on on certain nodes, so you'll be following like a, a constellation line, and like it'll be overlapping with like three other inter- intersections of that line, and but it's only it's only progressing linearly towards a path. It's not branching out into another path. But the way that's that looks on its on its face is like oh, it's intersecting with this line. I thought I could go to this, uh, you know, setup. So that gets really weird and confusing, and um. And if you want to like go see like a future node on like what it does, and you don't want to follow that constellation line because it's like it's far off, so you have to use like the right analog stick to, like enable like a free cursor, uh, and, and then and, like, like hover, manually trace it. Yeah, and, and like yeah, so you go to that free cursor, and then you hover over that node, and you try to, and then it's so finicky because like sometimes you won't be able to like get it precisely on where it is, so like you have to use like the left analog stick again to like snap it back into place into the nearest like line it can find so and hopefully it'll snap into like the node that like you're trying to like hover over to see what it does so it gets there's a there's a lot of like quality of life things i you know i i i hope they like clean up like either in a later patch or like in maybe a future installment or whatnot and because that because that thing is cool the way they present it but the way you navigate it is it's not good. And then so the way you interact with like branching jobs is say um you're like uh I'll, I'll take the melee DPS class for example, like the assaulter. So you you fill out this constellation node, there's like maybe like let's say 30 nodes on it, and then you fill out all the nodes and then on the final node, it'll give you uh a decision called the grand co- crossroads. And the grand crossroads says that um you you can only spec into one of these two paths and once you make your decision you can't go back there's no respec option you can only either go be the vanguard braver class or there should no be into ninja path and the vanguard braver is your your like your typical uh melee dps that's up on front in the front line uh that can increase their attack power and they're pretty easy to learn learn or you can go down like the path of the shinobi where they spec more into like the decreasing aggro on them, being more stealthy around the battlefield because the enemies are not paying attention to their low aggro values, and their evasion is their main source of like 
they don't want to take damage. They want to try to avoid it altogether, and they specialize in backstab damage uh, and so forth. So you have that uh, that end of the spectrum. And then once you spec into one, you can't go to the other. But you get so many party members that have like the same base class where you uh, where you can like spec them into different classes. So say I have Terra, and she and I put her to Shinobi Ninja. Like that doesn't mean I'll never get to see like what Vanguard Braver does because eventually you'll get someone else who, who's an assaulter, and then you can spec them to Vanguard Braver and see what that tree has, you know. And um, although that seems uh, like a good compromise between like I don't like when. Like, for instance, three houses, I actually kind of don't like that you can make anyone any class in that game. Mm-hmm. I yeah. kind of like having some sort of rigidity in, cer- in saying, like, like maybe maybe a certain unit can be a family of classes. Or even, hell, this unit is a sword master. That's all they are. Deal with it. You know, make use yeah. of it how you will. I kind of like having a little bit more structure like that because then it feels more like a chessboard. Um, yeah. So it seems like it's a good uh, compromise to basically saying, like, you can only pick one of these. However, we make sure that you have enough of a roster that you're not locking yourself out of ever seeing that class just for this unit. Like whatever, yeah. however, however you've been character. using this unit, yeah. they're going to be a Shinobi Ninja or a or a Vanguard, whatever the other one was. Great, uh, yeah. And and that, therefore, you have to make there, there needs to be some sort of like decision with consequences rather than just being like, oh, I didn't like that. I'm going to redo it. I don't know. I don't. Know. I like I like having some sort of. You can't go yeah, too far because you don't, don't want to be yeah, like inconvenient, but. But yeah. Yeah, and, and, and like uh, the neat thing is like even though like say both like you have two DPS melee DPS classes and they both spec into Shinobi Ninja, like sure they'll say, share a lot of skills, but there are some like specific nodes that are like character exclusive. Like Terra has like um skill like heal skills that are exclusive to her, where she like she can heal herself and like buff herself in the process. While another um character might be a melee DPS class that takes Shinobi Ninja, but then they have specific character nodes that like focus on like debuffing like an enemy uh because that's just like inherent to their character like for example for supporters um every supporter like uh like the the support class like the heal debuffer buffer class like they all have the option to deploy a decoy and the decoy is um you know it has a lot of aggro value and uh, obviously it's kind of like uses sort of a scapegoat so like if you if you need to really get that like safe initiate on like an enemy group, um, you can have them all target the decoy at first, and then so you're kind of like like plucking them off as they're um, focused on the decoy. It's like it's pretty weak. It it can't attack and it doesn't have much hit points, but it's just it's just there to serve as a, distra- a brief distraction, so you can like get them into like a safe range and like try try like initiate farther from the enemy group. Like you still sure you still might have to like enter like a zone where it'll like aggro like the other um like enemy group, but they won't they won't have like a advantageous position uh from the get-go. So all of all, all of the supporters can deploy a decoy, but only one character uh has like a specific like build where he can uh where they can like enhance the decoy, they can deploy a super decoy that's like golden and has like a lot more hit points and aggro value when it uh when it comes out and like when it um when it gets defeated by an enemy it has uh this person has the option to like make it so when the decoy uh explodes uh enemy nearby uh characters get like uh, take damage uh get a status debuff and then you can actually uh augment like the the range of that uh at a certain point too so there are definitely specializations that a character can 
can engage with so you can you're more informed about like okay this character uh has a quirk about them that makes them like almost invaluable like the mercury one of the supporters early earlier on has like the exclusive skill of just like casting like a heal skill that'll like that that'll encompass the whole map and it'll do like a, a like a good heal on like all your characters but it it gives her a shitload of aggro value because she did that and and that that costs um that doesn't cost mana because everyone has like a like an sp bar like a mana bar that that costs a, like a, a certain amount of special gauge uh on the in the mission so when you deploy on a mission you had like this gauge that you fill up by uh basically doing anything taking damage dealing damage uh buffing yourself buffing others debuffing like this gauge will gradually decrease over time it has like it has like um the, like five like storages like kind of like a, a metroid health bar where like you'll have like like five pips of it at maximum and like that that spell that healing rain spell costs two of those pips while other like ones are other ultimate abilities like big like aoe abilities will cost like three and um so you're you're managing like you know resources valuable resources uh in the midst of battle as well so there's there's a a a good chunk of strategy and depth and customization in that it's not like the most elegant way to present it but it's it's good enough um you do have like a like a a basic weapon upgrade system in this game too where um you'll have as you progress to the story you'll you have like a a shop that consistently consistently gets like better better equipment for armor and weapons uh, and then they're, they're all depicted by a star rating all, de- all depicted by a star rating and then you can like upgrade them like with uh in-game money that you that you earn and the weird thing about this weapon upgrade system is like it has like one little nitpick that's like really annoying about it where um like the menuing in, in this game is already not great and every time you unlock a new tier of weapons and you have like say like nine or ten party members uh like and you want to equip them all with like all this new equipment you'll have to like manually go through and equip like all of them with all this gear and then if you want to upgrade them and you have the resources to spare to upgrade them the way you go about it is very annoying it's like it's like one by one you can't like do mass upgrading because um when when you uh, upgrade a weapon you can go to plus one plus two plus three and then like turn into an all-new weapon that has like it's a kind of like an upgraded version of that weapon but anytime during these upgrades there's an there's an rng chance to for it to turn into dark side it'll be like a dark side upgrade where it'll turn that weapon like pitch black and like it looks ominous and like it does it like the stats you get from it are pretty significant but uh to offset that um you take you you take damage every time that character gets a turn. Like they're just self-inflicted with the uh, a status ailment. And that so the, the typical like cursed weapon, uh, yeah, weapon pretty much or whatever. And, and and like and of course you can just like save scum. That's like okay, I don't I don't want this weapon upgrade because I was I was want like good stats, but I don't want that um, trade off status ailment. Yeah, so you can obviously save scum that. But then, but then if you want to do that you have to spend a substantial amount of time like say doing it for these 10 characters and you're upgrading the weapons one by one by one and then at any time it could go rng into that and it's like okay well i don't want that so it it becomes an ordeal um once you get like a, a good chunk of the roster and a new tier of weapons and armor upgrades come out and then you have to spend like about an hour an hour and a half like 
kind of getting them all up to spec and speed on um the and making sure to save to avoid that yeah uh-huh and th- mm. th- th- it's not yeah it's it's i i, I think it would just get rid of that system entirely of that rng into a cursed weapon because it doesn't really serve you at all i don't i can't i, I can't think of uh, from what i where i stand i can't think of any sort of reason anyone would want to do that but you know maybe someone will find something but who knows um but uh like I think the weird thing I wanted to like mention before we we move on, uh, aside from one, the final boss being fucking absolute dog shit, bullshit, and garbage. Like I, I'm not gonna spoil like the like, the setup for the final boss, but the way like the way it is presented is annoying because like bosses in this game are like the boss variety in this game is very disappointing because like the boss units are all basically like the same model and like have the same animations, so it's kind of like whatever. They're they're annoyed. They have AOE attacks that do a lot of damage. But then, like the final boss is like just a bigger one of those, like more gigantic one of those, and like has like different parts you have to like get rid of because they do buffs and debuffs. But then its core unit has like a massive AOE that like can easily like just like it, it like from my my average levels were around like level one oh like like I'd say like a level one hundred and five. Is like my average level at that final boss fight, and then like the recommended level was like level 125 or something, and like it was like that AOE attack could just like one shot like most of my units that I was deploying, so it became a very very uh, all or nothing battle after like hours of experimentation on like what will trigger that AOE attack, and it was just, it was really annoying. But then after you beat the game, it, it's like. A sadly bittersweet, sad ending. It's like, oh man, this feels like yes, for now, like we've overcome our difficulties, but like what was the cost of all that? And like there are definitely some things that happen at the at the end and like and that affects certain characters to do what they do, like after the ending. It's like, okay, well and then I'm wondering, okay, well, what's the post game? Because there's still like a question mark at the at, at the menu screen. Like and then that unlocks in post game. And then that post game is like it's like called Asterism Voyage, and it's basically like a big alternate what if scenario of like what if the the ending of the game, like the events that happened at the end of the game, didn't happen. What would happen then? And then it's like another additional thirty plus stages, all the story scenes on this big what if scenario, and it's like what. This feels like that was like a that was like a bittersweet sad ending, and then like now this is like a weird post game that says, "What if that didn't happen? What if it's like it was still happy go lucky times?" Like what? I'm trying to sell you the good ending as a DLC, okay? This is not DLC. This is like this I know, is but you get what I'm trying yeah, to say. Right? Yeah, it's like yeah, oh. it's it's kind of like robbing like the emotional impact of that ending into like. I don't know. Like, there's it, a game that I was thinking that that was guilty of this. It's like the Lufia Two remake on the DS, where you, you know, the game has a very sad ending in the original game. Uh it's not really a spoiler because if you play the original, it already spoils the ending from, from from that game, right? And if you beat the game once, you can do a new game plus, and you can get the happy ending where <laughs> it's like what? But that loses all the emotional impact, though. Yeah, so that 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 is a weird one. Like, and and, and like that, like I dabbled with this like, post game for a bit, and like, there's definitely like places you've never visited in the main game that like just like open up to you there as well. So it's like, okay, that's weird. So 
you know, like, but it, but it does say, hey, congratulations, you beat the game. Now onto this what if scenario. I'm just like, okay, well, and you know, but I think I think the strength of this game um, that that I hope you know, hope hopefully more people get around to to playing it is like I think it's the the characters and their and their interactions and seeing how they grow. I think it's I I was very uh, I was very impressed that like okay, this is actually a really cool cast of characters that I think. Everyone's every single person will have their own different favorite character because there's a lot of characters and they're all cool in their own ways. And I think they're just really there. There's something really. Um, that's what I want to see out of a new IP. You know, like I, I think hopefully they they make more of these relayer games that go off of like the canonical ending, not this weird what if scenario. And there's like you know a lot of room for improvement. But I'm really like there's definitely ways to like continue the story. Um, uh, with what happens at the end of the game um because it's not like it's yeah I, I won't say more about that but it's just it's really really uh, cool to see like hey they introduced this whole new role this whole new universe this whole new cast and like and they've done they, they've done them justice uh, for the the scope of this game and it feel, it does feel like a like a voyage like it is it is a meaty game like um it, but it never really overstays like it's welcome when it comes to these characters. There's never like a time where like, oh, I'm getting bored of this cast. It, it's um, and that, that's what I want to see out of a new IP. Like, I think this is a really solid foundation for hopefully more of these games. And that's a, there are definitely flaws in it, uh, no doubt. But uh, you know, that's that's something that future iterations can fix and improve upon. So Relayer releases on March 24th, so next week as of the time of this recording. So, But by the super expensive edition for Early Access, I think it has one of those as well. And it's been cool that we've had a few uh, opportunities to talk about it, both with the public preview as well as are you able to get access to the full game ahead of time. Uh, I'll go. I'll jump ahead to like a, uh, a news bit from later. Uh, Relayer will get a physical release set for May 20th through specific uh, vendors, depending on your region. Uh, in Europe, this is Red Art Games. And in North America, I guess it's from Video Games Plus. So that'll be from uh, for May 20th for those that want a physical edition of the game. The March release is for digital versions on um, just on PSN. Yeah, uh, that, that's that's really surprising and really cool that it's going to get a physical release, even though it's not day and date. That This is going to be like the first... Mm-hmm. You know, this is, the, this is the first time that clouded Leopard Entertainment's like embarking on this endeavor and trying to make this, you know, as big as it can be. They want to prove that they they're right to license Kuro, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot of barriers to that. So we've been uh, talking about Stranger Paradise and uh, Relayer as our games talk section for this week i won't spend a lot of time on it just a couple minutes but i did start triangle strategy obviously that just released early in the month and some of us are still working through it um we had opportunity to talk about triangle strategy uh, mostly as josh has been able to play through it and reference through uh, cullen's review of the game up on the site uh so i'm only a few chapters in and i don't have a ton of like opinions on the story and how f- plays out because i haven't seen much of the branching paths or whatever uh, but i do have just two comments that i just wanted to bring up i suppose and one of them is even playing on normal for triangle strategy i have enjoyed how challenging it is it's not brainless and there's a difficulty above where i'm at too so that is one thing i've kind of really enjoyed is that it doesn't it's not just a cakewalk i do have to consider like who my units are and what the objective is but 
Oh, one thing that has really taken me out of the game and is probably like sadly a reason I haven't gotten any further is that I really don't like the scales of conviction mechanic just narratively. I just mm-hmm. think it's really awkward. It takes me completely out of the moment where it's like the very first major decision is basically like, what boat will you go on? Will you go to nation A or nation B? And like, I to me, it just feels like, okay, just make this a choice in the game that you make. But instead, it has to bespokely say like, go fetch the scales of conviction and we'll pull it out to this bridge we're waiting on and everyone yeah. grab your grab your <laughs> grab choice your coin. coin and we're going to like do this properly and we're going to make the choice and to me it just feels like couldn't this i guess there's some admiration for making it like a narrative thing as well like this is why the choice like it's yeah serving as like a as an excuse for the the tutorial of that mechanic yeah, but it just seems like, why yeah. don't they just say, like, you, make a choice? And they also, like, explicitly say, like, well, don't worry about it. I, the other the, the other lord from the other region, I forget what it what it's called. Like, I'll just go to the place you decide not to. Like, oh, that's convenient. Like, we're going to send one person each way, but you get to use your fancy mechanic, and I'll just go to whatever is left. Uh, so that way uh, we're covered. Don't worry about it. Just for breakfast. Go fetch the seals of conviction. <laughs> and it just, it just takes me completely... Waffles. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> Pancakes or waffles. Oh, quick. yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're going to need the skills yeah. of conviction for that one. And oh, it wow. just. We're going to need everyone to weigh in on this. Well, they did say it's a family heirloom, and usually the best outcome comes from the scales. So you could use that as an excuse, maybe. And I, I agree, did, I agree with, uh, with Brian, though. For sure. it, it also seems like there's a little bit of incongruity. First of all, I feel like I'm bagging on the game. I'm really enjoying it. Just as a good strategy game in terms of like how the game plays. But just this one thing has really just bugged me. And then as a kind of related thing, early in the game, they're like, House Wolford, you know, thank goodness they were here to mediate the discussions because they have like this decision making apparatus or whatever. But also then later in like other contexts are like, well, we're just a bunch of soldiers. You know, that's that's all that's our role is that we're just, you know, we're just a bulwark for the nation. Like they don't quite seem to align on like what like house wolford is the second strongest house of um of the nation and what is their role are they like you know strategists and mediators or are they just like soldiers that only know how to swing a sword and it doesn't quite seem to align on like where they want to fall on that so it's i thought that was... family okay it's so I, that, yeah, that they, 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 sort, they, they, yeah they, they sort of go into that but like yeah never as much in detail as you want about like what are the exact strengths of that family besides like a just a general jack of all trades? Like they're pretty good strategists, they're pretty good uh, battlefield people, but they never really commit to one. Yeah, so I'm not very far. I'm planning to like play through this. Uh, basically, like we've mentioned, there's a lot of games in March, and we just went through two more in our big long section early on. And it's I'm I'm kind of like looking ahead to April and being like, thank goodness, like. Obviously, uh, there's the Chrono Cross remaster that I'm interested in. But other than that, April and May seem a bit like there's obviously a bunch of good releases still, but a little bit lighter relative to March and even February. So I'm kind of like, all right, you know, over the next month, we'll be able to have some more time with more people getting to Triangle Strategy or Stranger yeah, Paradise. Yeah, it's weird. Like, like, I'm thinking about it. And like, I think Stranger Par- Paradise like, might be the first game this year that I could like I can actually play and be like in under 25 hours because all the other games I've played this year have been like at least 40 hour endeavors at the yep. very least pretty much well with that yeah, i'm gonna we'll be go- anxious to see real quick i'm just kind of no on um josh's point it's like i'm gonna be really curious to see what all they add with the stranger of paradise tlc 
very yeah. very intrigued. I, I didn't get the, the deluxe version, but if it's like if it seems good, then maybe I'll pick up like that additional content. Um, yeah, I have, I have no idea, no idea. They they kind of give like a brief 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 preview preview of like what they're called, but not exactly what they'll have. Well, with that, we'll go into the news section of the podcast. So actually, before I do that, sorry, two, a couple more things that I want to call out on the website. We did mention uh, Scott's review for Stranger of Paradise, obviously. Uh, we did get two more reviews up on the site uh, this week, uh, one of which is Chocobo GP, which has we've kind of discussed the, the monetization practices and the weird like full release I don't know, contradiction that that game has. And that obviously is a kind of a big center point of the review. The re- review was written by Cullen. Uh, so it's up on the site talking about how he is trying to enjoy the game. He thinks it controls really well, uh, has some nitpicks on the game front in terms of like how many characters you start out with and how many you have to unlock. He feels like it felt a little bit limited and uneven. I believe you only start with three and you have to unlock the rest. Uh, many of which you unlock through story, which is fine. But then also the usual t- discussion about the uh, the battle pass and the, the paid monetization and all those things that kind of really soured his impression on the game. So he was playing the Switch version of the game, you know, a full $40 There's release. There's only a Switch version. Oh, I thought there was a mobile version. Uh, nope. Oh, never mind. He played the, the only version of the game. And so you can read up his sites on his review, uh, his thoughts on his review up on the site. And then also we got a review for a February release that might have fallen under the radar because it came out within days of Elden Ring. And that is uh, Atelier Sophie 2, Alchemist of the Mysterious Dream. So Paige wrote this review for us. She also wrote the preview a few months ago. So just kind of her final thoughts on that game. Uh, I haven't read through the review myself, so I can't summarize it. But another game that you know came out in February that maybe if you ha- people haven't had a chance to get make time for it, Maybe April or you know, April and May will ease up and allow us to make room for that. But she thought pretty highly of it, and her full thoughts are up on the site. We were able to skip talking about Elden Ring deliberately for one week. But now this week, we're going to talk about it again because there was a fairly major update in the form of patch 1.03. Now, normally, we wouldn't spend a ton of time talking about individual patches for specific games. That's just a little bit too in the weeds. And, you know, you can always read those notes on whatever, you know, service they're delivered on through the game forums or Twitter or however. However, uh, Elden Ring patch 1.03 is a bit interesting because it takes some pretty big swings into some aspects of the game that some people applauded. And then some people actually thought that this was really quite needed. The A lot of the patch is balancing of enemies and weapons and skills and summons and all those things. Rip Mimic Tear, who carried me through some of the... Uh, the later game bosses because I wasn't able to beat them solo. Mimic Tear is still good. I mean, it's it's not as insane, but it's still okay. Like uh, people will still use it. The, yeah, the, the nerfs that aren't, aren't as like as soul crushing as like you know one may lead you to believe. Isn't the biggest change is that if you talk to an NPC now they're marked in the map no matter where they are. And yep, and that's actually what I was going to get to. And I remember talking about it on this podcast where I said, like, I was trying to follow some side quests, but then an, an NPC would just leave and I wasn't sure where to find them. Like, I'm thinking of a side quest where you give, like, the golden needle to the woman that you meet in the, like, damaged monastery. And I wasn't sure, like, okay, I did that part of the quest. Where do I find her now? And, and then I just never did. But now... uh 
basically just as in terms of a player convenience quality of life once you meet an npc for the first time their name will show up on the map uh when you highlight over a nearby site of grace showing you where that npc currently resides and there's a similar one where the um i forget his name but the uh the faith priest from the from the hub area ends up going out to find gold mask and i wasn't ever sure where to find him and then eventually he's like, oh, of course, he's along the road here near this site of grace. But if you had already explored that area, you might not have had reason to go back there. So you just might not happenstance happen to find him, which to me, I was kind of OK with that. It's just kind of part of that emergent storytelling like, oh, I just happened never to follow up on this because that wasn't my the way that I progressed through the game. And I'm OK with that. But obviously, there's usually some some cool stories and often some some good treasure and some spells and things like that behind these side quests. So uh people have been applauding just having this little thing where it's, it seems like a good compromise where once you meet a character for the first time you're able to keep track of where they are at and what they're doing but some people this said that is, this is go ahead. this one is so weird because this is not a new feature to the game this feature was already in the network test for this uh game and people oh, i didn't that, know that yeah and a lot of people were very confused including me it was like i didn't i thought the network test had like npcs on here and like sure enough it's like it's one of those it's like they had a release candidate that didn't have that feature and then that they at least finally got it sorted out. Maybe a little bit too late for some people, like me, but, you know, it's fine. Yeah, because uh, I don't even know where to find patches anymore. I went and found him, and he's like, oh, you can come and find me over here. And now I don't know where he is anymore. Should have <laughs> kept, should have kept, you know, should have kept written notes, should have had your notebook by you. <laughs> but no, but, but, yeah. even in some, but even in some cases, like, I'm near positive that for some of these NPCs, like the, uh, the priest from the hub and like the I'm, I'm bad with names like so many names in this game are very similar like Michaela and melania and godfrey and godfrey. They, they, they all have <laughs> yeah they all have yeah they all have the initials g r r m apparently that's yeah, just like the offer but it, it's just interesting to see like uh like even even beyond like balance changes they made changes like some of the bosses like radon for example like he they reduce his hitboxes to like by 40%, which is, like, insane to think about. It's like, yeah, it did have a lot of uh, weird fucking hitboxes for so, a lot of its attacks, huh? I, uh, I don't think they should have nerfed him. It's a lot of people that are exploring it everywhere they shouldn't be going yet, and they were getting wiped because of it. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's fine. Like, you know, they, they from what I understand, a lot of, like, the later, later game bosses were untouched, so you know, the, the challenge no, is the, still there. The later boss deserves to be nerfed. Just, mm-hmm. There's nah. a that are like Melania like... definitely needs to be nerfed. She's unfair. Nah, Kiefer as <laughs> she's, she's great. She's great. They did yeah. add like a bunch of summonable NPCs to certain places. I don't know specifically where, but I do remember thinking as I was playing through it, like I remember playing through Dark Souls 2 and 3 and to you know, and every other boss, usually there was a just an NPC sign you could summon if you wanted to play single player but still have some help. And Elden Ring, very, very rarely did I have an NPC I could summon. And I thought I chalked that up to a little bit just like, okay, I haven't done whatever quest was related to this. Like it's kind of a reward for completing those quest lines. So that naturally, if you were able to like follow those quests more deliberately, you could then get rewarded for it. Maybe not by an item, but being able to summon the NPC for the boss. But I guess I don't know specifically where, but they say they just added uh summonable NPCs to several boss fights. Um they did up. They did lower the FP cost and increase the damage of several of the sorceries, which I thought. Which to me, I read that and it makes sense because a lot of the sorceries I would get like these like 
Glimmerstone Comet. I'm like, oh, that sounds neat. Let me try it. And it's like, oh, this not this isn't as good as the Pebble that I already have, which is cheaper and does nearly as much damage. So uh, I'm okay with them addressing the sorceries there and trying to make them more viable, other than just the the couple that people were spamming. Uh, they did add some. I guess, stages to certain quests and including some NPCs in general. I don't know the specifics of what they added, but that just seems like really interesting to see that that was addressed so early in the game's life that it almost feels like free DLC in terms of now certain quests have certain additional components to them, which is kind of fun in alignment with the hopefully hopefully making the quest easier to follow with the new uh, UI implementation. Yeah, that just reminds me, like, there's not uh, separate from the patch itself, but like people, the community has recently found out that there are are some secret areas in the game that can only be accessed not by illusionary walls that like have to be hit multiple times for them to appear, like secret paths that like you have to hit multiple times to like get through a, like a wall. So now that okay. people are that's, just speaking out now. That's actually not quite accurate. It, it? The walls that uh, people have found are very clearly like an oversight. Uh, because not only do they not disappear as normal illusory walls do, but they just wrap right back around to a room that you can enter normally. That's so sick. Thank you for so. stopping here. So, <laughs> maybe, so, so it, maybe they're like debugging tools or something like I'm trying to think like yeah. why would they, would they exist then? Yeah, the best guess I have is that they probably designed the illusory wall because there is like one section near there that has a proper illusory wall, which my guess is is that they designed one type of wall for that illusory wall, and then they wanted to make it so that you wouldn't just normally be able to break rest of the walls that look the same in that area. So they increased the HP, but they forgot to increase the defense at the same time. So if you hit the wall enough, it'll break, and you can just walk right through even though it's not intended for it to be a proper illusory wall. <laughs> that's good. Like, again, we don't know, but that's like the best guess I've seen people like push forward. It, it makes sense. It makes sense. In related news, we did also learn about the first sales update for Elden Ring and that it has sold 12 million units in total with 1 million coming from Japan alone, which obviously is a massive success for from software relative to their other games in their series. Like around the time that Dark Souls 3 released, a month after that, the whole franchise was at 13 million. So it's not that Elden Ring has sold more than the whole Dark Souls franchise, but it it almost seems like it has the potential to. I don't know how much Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3 have sold since 2016. Like, in the, when like Souls... catalog sales in the last five years, I'm not sure. Yeah, and, Probably quite and, a bit. But... And you also have to factor in the um, like the Dark Souls 1 remaster and things like that. Like, how do you control the franchise? Like, what do you consider? What do you put in that bucket? But yeah, but obviously... Like, are, are, are this Bloodborne and Sekiro, like, also included in that? Yeah. I don't, I don't well, know, I, I yeah. would say no on those, but then more question like demon souls is that dark Souls? no yes remaster of that <laughs> i don't know so i think well obviously 12 million sold is a massive massive like like a huge deal i think the more interesting thing about the elden ring sales is actually the 1 million sold in japan because if you go by the famitsu sale tracker like as of march 13th and these sales this these sales for the 1 million sold in japan is as of march 14th so pretty close um aligned between ps4 and ps5 there were just shy of 390,000 physical copies sold 
which means that either the digital share for consoles is way higher than people expected, which is insane for Japan, or in fact, even if the digital sales are super high, it seems possible, like shockingly enough, that it might be the case that the PC version is the best-selling SKU in Japan. I don't know. That, that, that to me, that seems unlikely. I think it's I think it's digital sales uh, pushing a lot of that number. Uh, well, like, but the I, thing is, though, is that that would mean that there's more digital sales for Elden Ring than physical sales, and I don't even. See, and I mean, I don't see that being the case in Japan. There's there's no way. And even if that was the case, that's still like um, over two hundred thousand copies sold on Steam, which is still a massive like. Yeah, it's still a significant number for for the user base over this. Yeah, the, I, over yeah like either way, sure. whether it's the best selling skew or not, it's like there's in like a shocking number of like PC sales in Japan, which it's like wonder what's up with that. Like I've I, seen I, people I, I, saying, I wonder if, that, I wonder if that's, a, that's a historic like legacy thing. Like I'm trying to remember like how recent like not not just Souls games, but like say like um, Sekiro for example. Or, uh, and later Dark Souls games, like how they sold on PC in Japan. Like I, I, I'm trying to remember if like they have like a a busting yeah. scene for that or not. But that, yeah, that, one, that these are still crazy numbers either way. Yeah, yeah. One thing I did see some people like speculate is that, and even some folks like in Japan have said that like PC gaming has been rising in recent years because of the uh, believe it or not the uh, influx of uh, VTubers. <laughs> Well, that, that's one way to get to, to revive PC gaming in Japan. Thank God. I mean, it <laughs> makes sense YouTubers. because, because yeah. yeah, it's like it's like crazy to think. It's like, huh, that would make some sense. Uh, thank you for saving PC gaming Japan, VTubers. Feel it all to you. If more, if more Japanese PC games come out on Steam or wherever, you have to thank VTubers. Not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> this week we did get another extended look at the upcoming Aiden Chronicle Rising, which is the spin-off. I don't know if spin-off's the right word, but it's like companion the companion game. The, yeah, partner game, companion game for the upcoming Aiden Chronicle uh 100 Heroes, which is releasing next year, which Aiden Chronicle Rising is listed for t- to release this year. Uh we don't have a release date yet other than like soon. Soon. But but uh we did get Thanks to IGN, had an exclusive preview access to this. Um, 28 minutes of footage for this game that was linked from them. And I don't know how much excitement there is for this game. We've kind of talked about it previously. It's the like the side-scroller uh, action gameplay rather than the um, you know, Suikoden-inspired game of the 100 Heroes. But it's the first time we've been able to get extended uh, look at the gameplay since like Tokyo Game Show of last year. So I did. I at least wanted to give it a shout out that we got, we got a pretty meaty look of some of the environments, the the three playable characters, and uh, as we look forward to that game releasing at some point. So we always talk about like, or we we have been talking about how we've been filling in certain months like September and October have been become pretty crowded pretty quickly, and April and May might be a little bit light, but this could this could drop in at any point. It seems like the, it's. The, 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 I think the interesting thing that. Um... Adam and I were talking about the the other day in response to Aiden Aiden Chronicle Rising is the, the developer Natsume Atari. I I I wasn't aware that uh, the origin of Natsume Atari was like kind of because there's just not Natsume Inc that we know of of like now making the Harvest Moon games that you know are 
really quote unquote the Harvest Moon uh, developers because they went off and did Story of Seasons. But uh, remind me again, Adam, like wh- what is like the in- inception of Natsume Atari? So they're like Natsume Inc., which does like Harvest Moon and a few other things. And Natsume Atari are apparently just two separate companies with a similar name. Wikipedia puts it this way, and I know it's Wikipedia, but it says, Natsume is the name of two video game publishers, Natsume Atari and Natsume Inc. They were once the same company, but now are completely separated. And Natsume Atari, who is the developer of Viewed and Chronicle Rising here, they've mostly done, like, it seems like licensed, like, Nintendo DS games. They did a lot of the Metabot games. Um... Uh, they did some like SpongeBob stuff. I'm looking at the Wikipedia Power Rangers, some Nicktoons, Common Rider. Um, it seems like they haven't done a lot recently. I'm guessing maybe like Pachinko, like arcadey type stuff. So they're not really like, you know, a prestige developer. Or even like, I don't even know if you, what niche you would put them in, but they're the developer of this Rising game. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, so go ahead and give a look at the uh, gameplay footage from IGN. We've got it linked on our site as well. So we'll see when that will land this year because it's still slated for 2022. We got a release date that is soon the upcoming for the next Genshin Impact update, Genshin Impact version 2.6. And whenever we have a Genshin Impact update, I always have to defer to our local expert, Chaomin Wu, to tell me what I'm looking at because a lot of this is just like, proper nouns and names that i don't know like how significant they are yeah Ch- child you're on the field how, how is the genshin out there what's the weather looking like <laughs> what's the well the last update's it? really good the last update was uh what is it it's to conclude the raiden shogun arc storyline so yeah the last update's really good but this new update i i don't know what what to expect yet we finally get to see ayaka's brother uh, ayato he was mentioned a lot in the in the story but you never actually see him until now five star hydro swordsman do we need more uh, hydro characters is that filling uh, a gap in the roster there is not too many hydro characters that or at least not really good five star characters not not too many there's uh there's Tarkatala or Child, whatever you like to call him. Uh, there is Kokomi, who is either meta or really bad, depending on who you talk to. And <laughs> this is fucking classic gotcha talk right there. It's either meta or shit, depending on who you talk to. And then there is Mona, and yeah, and now we finally got our five star. What, what element is Ganyu? Ganyu is Cairo, ice. Oh, ice, ice is different than water. Cryo. Yeah, Cryo. I know some games where have you know water and ice is basically the same element because it's water, right? But here it's two separate elements. Stranger so. Paradise differentiates them. You have Blizzard and water. It's like, yep. see, that's the that's the way it is now. I, okay, I forgot so... to ask you during uh, Stranger Paradise: Do they call the water? Uh, do they call the magic the? The fire ra, fire ja, or whatever yeah, it's yeah, called. Yeah, 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 Raja, yeah they do that. Raja. So for water, so water, water, water ga. Okay, I was thinking it's like maybe they might have renamed it to like Final Fantasy fourteen style or the old school way where it's fire one two three four. They they do it for like um like in the Tyrion class when like I'm imbuing like uh elements to like my fist. They have like in fire one and fire two and fire three stuff like that. So it's sort of there. But yeah, we finally get uh, Ayaka's brother. He basically looks like a Virgil, 
Uh, so, so the, like, I, I hope we see gameplay of this dude soon because apparently the the leaked ones have all been taken down because you know. Oh, I I've seen the leaks. Yeah, uh, yeah, they, you could see the you could see. Yeah, the because because Ayaka apparently was already like Virgil, and then now you're saying no, there's like really more Virgil. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is man. yeah more Virgil. This guy <laughs> is like literally blinking, doing slashes. Okay, <laughs> so right. it's like uh, you think Ayaka is Virgil. This guy is. Do they just uh, run in the family? Like, like, are, are they just, are just like the Virgil family? Is that what they're known for? Probably. I mean, do they have like a like a like a like a dad or a mom that will get introduced? It's like, oh yeah. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm also Virgil. Like, all uh, right. probably, probably not. <laughs> but... <laughs> or if they have any like siblings, it's like, yeah, I'm also Virgil. By the way, <laughs> like, wow, that's crazy. You guys have runs in the family. family. <laughs> I want to so be this... part, of, part of this family. <laughs> So this update comes out on March 30th, so a little over a week from time of recording. And it does also include a new area in the Liu region, Liyue, called Chasm. Yeah, um, this this region's been leaked back like a year ago, and everyone just thought it was a hoax because it never was implemented in the game during the patch that people assumed it was. So I guess it's finally finished, and now it's finally implemented into the game now, you know? Are there like any like new gameplay features that uh, this new patch is coming out with? Any like cool modes? Um, there's a mode where you duel this dude, and in this mode you can't use your like elemental abilities, and you only get to use the protagonist, and it's like a kind of like a one-on-one sword fight, you know. And you can test your skills on how good you're parrying of your sword, I guess. Uh, what kind of gameplay is that? I would try to say maybe it's like Neo. I mean, we talk about Neo a lot. I mean, you're trying to use like a samurai here, and you're trying to. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I'm thinking like Metal Gear Rising, where it's like very parry heavy. Yeah, there that there is that one new mode. There is uh, was it? There's more stuff implemented into the the house building mode, which is the teapot. Now you can plant your plants and stuff. See how your flower grows. Um, it seems like a very simple update. I mean, I think the big update was the previous patch. Uh, but there is a new region, and people love exploring new regions in Genshin, so that's basically it. I will say, as before we move on, like this is the most positive I've heard you talk about Genshin in like any of these updates. So the last it's because the last patch has a good story update. Uh, okay, no, I'm so... not really into. I'm not really into like stories all the time, but when there's a good story update, it keeps me keeps me motivated. All right, you heard it here, folks. If if you if you've been soured by some subpar updates for Genshin, it sounds like uh, two point five was pretty damn good, and two point six is uh, coming soon. So vetted by our by our local expert. Thank you, Chow. You you may not have saved uh, the the PC gaming market in Japan like VTubers, but you'll do what you can for Genshin. <laughs> and speaking of gotcha games. Uh, that seems like a really silly uh, segue, but it's the world we live in now. Uh, we got an announcement of a new uh, PC game based on Ark Knights. So I don't know much about Ark Knights other than that it has been relatively popular and I see it talked about in the Moboga Mobage channel uh, on our Discord here at RPG Site. I know a few people that have played this game. And Ark Knights Enfield has been announced for PC and mobile devices and... We've got a new like CG trailer as well as a gameplay demo for the game that kind of give us a very high level overview of how this game plays. Uh, we know that it is a real time 3D RPG with strategic elements. But as I watched through 
this CG trailer and gameplay demo of Arknight's Enfield, I can't answer the the begged question, is this a gotcha? I don't know for certain. I don't know if uh, you were able to like glean anything more from this footage, Josh, because you might know the, the mobile game a bit better than me, but... It's hard to tell whether this is like just a PC equivalent based on the same universe, but not a gotcha game, or if this is just another gotcha game. Yeah, so what, what, I, what I understand. So the original Ark Knights game for mobile devices is uh, it's one of the more unique ones out there because it's a tower defense uh, game. So you have incoming hordes, and you you place your characters like like towers, and they all have their special abilities that you can level up, and they have like their different classes and that uh, tower defenses, and then they, they, so it has like the whole package on like if you're a tower defense player and you really like that kind of uh, gameplay that game is for you and it's a, it's pretty good at that uh and a lot of people really like it uh this game uh seems to be like a more genshin inspired uh take on arc knights uh, the, the the gameplay demo that was introduced is like kind of running around like uh open like like it's more you know you're you're not placing down units uh on a tower defense it seems to be like you're controlling the character directly and like from the brief things that you, they've shown in the demo, like you kind of there are some places where you have to like kind of uh, ma- maneuver around like environmental hazards. As for, as for the actual gameplay itself, what you're gonna be doing, like interacting with the game, we don't actually know yet. But from like you know sp- uh, speaking with people that uh, play the game, like this seems to be like in a whole a whole new take on it. There's like no carryover of characters from Arc Knights that they've shown. These are all new characters and all new cast so far. Um, who knows if it'll have a gotcha element? I, I have to assume it will have some sort of gotcha element if it's coming to mobile devices as well as PC, like maybe a Genshin style type of release. It's um, from the developer. They have never made anything that does not use the gotcha model. I mean, you yeah. make so much money from it. Why would you? Switch? Yeah, like like my yeah my my gut take is like this will be a free to play game, like free to install, and then like if you want to like get characters or equipment or what, what however. You, you do stuff in this game that'll be uh you know uh, behind a gotcha system uh on that so that's uh, that's my right read on it they haven't really mentioned too much about like more about this game just an initial teaser so you know it might be cool it might be like you know if it's like uh i'd be interested to see how they adapt if they if they try to adapt the tower defense gameplay model of arc knights into this but now that it's like a 3d like open field almost so like are you going to be like hey do you, do you have to like use like a like a character to like place down units and then not you see everything just in like in 3d now you know oh uh, I, I forgot to mention the genshin update has uh you know the tower defense mini game that used to come out all the time now that has a big update for that mini game so Maybe they'll copy the same idea. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Argus like we're coming for you. We're that's the one thing about Genshin that we're really gonna fucking nail. I'd be like, no, this will be our angle. So who knows? It's like yeah, you it's... know, I do want there's more competition though. I just feel like Genshin has taken up this entire market, and they've been, you know, they haven't done anything to improve like the gotcha system. So I just hope there's more competition to it. There's the yeah. Genshin cynicism we were missing. There we go. Like you also have like uh, that upcoming like Tower of Fantasy game that looks a lot like Genshin. It's like an MMO, I think. So 
So yeah, so they uh, they they announced uh, the developers Hypergriff said that this was early in development. There is no release date. Um, the gameplay demo that we did get was about a minute of footage, which is mostly like Josh said, just kind of showing the field environment and not a lot of the gameplay or combat systems. A little bit, but not much. Uh, so I'm guessing it'll be a while before we see more of this. But for anyone who currently plays Ark Knights, uh, a you could go to our Discord channel and I'm sure you'll find some kindred spirits. Uh, and B. You know, we have a, a new PC release to look forward to, even though it seems like it might be a, a ways away. Uh, a couple of release dates that we'll roll through pretty quickly. Um, this one was one that I don't know much about, but I wanted to highlight it here because I just think uh, on principle, it seems really fun and really smart. And that is Dungeons and Dragons Gold Blocks Gold Box Classics are coming to Steam on March 29th. And the list of games here is quite extensive. And a lot of these I've never heard of. And a lot of these are from like circa early 90s uh, CRPGs. Uh, Eye of the Beholder 1, 2, and 3, uh, like the um, Champions of Kryn series, Shattered Lands, Wake of the Ravager. I don't know much about these, but... Uh, I think I played the original on the Sega CD or one of the games. I think it was the Beholder one. I think it was. Yeah, I think the Eye of the Beholder is the one that I think. Like, yeah, I, re- I remember that growing up. I like. I don't remember playing it because I'm, I also I'm know uh, enough. Pool of Radiance is one I've heard some decent stuff about. As in, like an old mm-hmm. DOS RPG. Yeah, I've only heard of Eye of the Beholder out of uh, these as well. So what this but, is, so it ends up being like a total of like over a dozen titles, um, and packaged under a single launcher with a like an updated version of DOSBox to have them be as like compatible as possible to play on uh, modern systems. And I just think that this is really neat because it's just kind of in the service of not letting these games be lost to history sort of thing, kind of just in a preservation mode where if someone played these games, maybe someone slightly older than most of us uh, had good memories of this and they want to re-experience it you've got an option here to get it packaged and we'll have to see if like how compatible they are and how they run and they haven't really been modernized but just hopefully just made available made you know so that people can experience these and kind of you know as a, almost like a history lesson or as kind of a a discography of where where games like Baldur's Gate or whatever or then future uh, entries or Dungeons and Dragons inspired games that ended up coming from a lot of these if not all of them have been on uh GOG for like years oh really yeah, like I, I have the Beholder. I, I'm almost positive I have in my uh, GOG. I don't think they're available anymore, though, or something. It's weird. They were available, but they're not, or some of them were on GOG. And now they're not. Um, what about that Capcom Dungeons and Dragons game? Is that pulled off too, or, or is that uh, I think are, I, th- I think these are older than that. I know they're older yeah. than that, but are they been like pulled off? Because of licensing issues and stuff. Because uh, you know these know. things are always messy. Yeah. When it comes to license, right? What which one was was that? Chronicles of Mystara? Yeah. There was a Tower of Doom. There's a Shadow of Mystaria. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Wonder they get pulled off like the Marvel vs. Capcom two problem, where you can never buy it. Yeah. So it looks like a quick check that the uh, the Forgotten Realms, the yes, yeah, Eye of the Beholder is on GOG. Kryn is on GOG. I wonder if Dark Sun is. I guess yeah. Scott, one, Scott is this. This is three. this is why we brought Scott on. He's able to kind of correct us. Yep. So it looks like yeah, a lot of these have been available on uh, good old games. So I will I will eat crow for that. But I guess you know there's something to say for visibility on Steam. Maybe I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to like. No, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah certainly. Yeah, no, certain. Yeah, certainly. You know, like uh, a, a lot of people like you know turn turn to only Steam for like all their gaming. 
stuff and like obviously gog isn't as popular as steam you know certainly for for some for some sections of like older games yes but when mm. it comes to the majority of people and like, and, and it's hard <laughs> to say whether this is exclusive to the steam release or has already been pleasant present in the gog release but it says they'll be coming to steam later this month not only that but many of the games will be enhanced to feature companion apps a unified launcher a character party transfer tool and customized dos box updates so i don't know if that's already in place or not it's not quite clear but whether you get them on one storefront or the other i still do think in principle that it's cool that these are made available so my bad i'm curious (laughs) i'm curious are do any of you play tabletop rpgs or are you pretty much all video game or pc rpg players i i, I have I, I infrequently PC now yeah, yeah I've, I, I've done i've t- done it before uh, yeah i've done it a few times so i'm definitely more of a uh, video game player uh, yeah. a friend invited me to do it but i i don't know i never tried it so i don't know anything about it uh they said they would need to find a good dungeon master if we want to play dungeons and dragons or something like that Lovely i have dungeon done Masters the whole for, like uh, uh discord plus roll 20 sort of thing where you play it like digitally that was, I was, i've only done that like two or three times but it was fun okay the hardest part is finding a a, G, a dm gm who's really committed to it at least in my experience uh i'll, I'll dm for uh candy land and monopoly <laughs> okay so i'm the probably the biggest one here then because i play in multiple games i run a game yeah i have, I have I, friends I who are a couple big, weekly yeah. games so yeah i have friends who are big into tabletop rpgs that have like weekly uh, weekly meetups for that and they always have fun with that okay i was just curious yeah we got a release date for monster hunter rise sunbreak we kind of knew that it was coming out in the summer and we now have a date it will release on june 30th and it'll release for nintendo switch and pc at the same time so i think this is the first time that that's happened like finally they yeah yeah yeah. and yeah they confirmed uh when they announced the rise piece well when they announced sunbreak in the first place it was going to be a simultaneous release so that's Mm -hmm. that's cool yeah they they shot off a lot of stuff like you know we have astalos is coming back yeah i sunbreak they they showed off a lot of stuff uh i'm not sure if you feel the same way josh but it's like they showed a lot of stuff. Not, it's not enough. Yeah, not not the types of things that I needed to see to get excited. Yeah, I need to see a lot more. I mean, they showed off a, like you know, obviously they showed off a new variant for um um was the breakdancing uh monster that threw fruit fruit. They 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 had, uh, showed off a new variant for that monster. They showed off same silk bite attacks. They showed off the new hub, which is like a more medieval fantasy themed hub, which is a really a stark contrast to where we were in Rise. I do um, like the new hub. It looks yeah, cool. it looks it looks cool. It looks cool. Yeah, um, but I was hoping to see a little bit more, but you know we'll see. Well, Josh is well, excited about the uh, quest giver. Yes, the she wears glasses and she's great. Um, I love how people are um, coming to the conclusion that the blacksmith is one of the uh, blacksmiths from Monster Hunter Four because if you look at their designs, there's a lot of design similarities. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so, so it's I mean, like, yeah, yeah, it's it, uh, yeah, but I, I agree with you that like it, it, they showed off a good chunk and they showed off like yeah. a new monster as well. And like it's like a rampaging monkey, armored monkey type of thing. I guess has, like, one neat thing is that it seems like since uh, 
Rise was like yokai based for a lot of the monster designs. It seems like between the vampire dragon and the uh, very clearly Frankenstein's monster uh, monster that they're kind of going for a Western uh, book aesthetic. Yeah, you, yeah, they have like a, a trio of monsters known as like the three lords. I think that's how their terminology for it was. And it's like a werewolf, uh, Frankenstein's monster, and a vampire. It's like, huh? Hmm. We get to we get to see uh, edgy armor sets again with everyone trying to get all the Astalo sets, full Astalo sets. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it goes without saying. Well, I can't speak for you, but I'm I'm definitely going to play it. I yeah, guess, yeah, uh, yeah. Since April is going to be a bit of a quieter month, that's a good chance for me to get caught up on uh, Rise PC, especially with the Defender. Uh, weapons making it easier to get caught up yeah that's kind of where i'm at where i started rise pc but i haven't really gotten very far i'm like all right now i have a like a due date almost yep i'm I'm all good here i just need to reacclimate myself with the controls like shortly before release like oh yeah how did this game play again (laughs) oh every every time uh we got a release date or sorry a release window for the upcoming tactical rpg lost idolins uh, it will release in quarter three of this year for Xbox consoles and or just the Xbox series consoles uh, and PC. And this originally had a um, a closed beta earlier, but it will get a second one in April. And this is one I remember us shouting out earlier in one of the uh, podcast episode from several months ago. It's basically just like Western fantasy Fire Emblem, which I thought was pretty neat. So uh, it'll be releasing later this year. And I don't know if I'll take part in the beta test, but that'll be next month. And you can sign up either on PC or Xbox for it. And we got a, a new trailer for it as well. A lot of shadow RPGs this year, huh? Yeah, it seems like it for sure. It's the hip new thing, don't you know? Well, it's a good thing. I, I, I like strategy RPGs before they were cool, okay? One of the OGs. And speaking of strategy RPGs, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, we got we got we got a sales update for Triangle Strategy. Maybe I should have brought this up when I was talking about it earlier. Uh, it has sold 800,000 units, or sorry, almost 800,000 units worldwide, which I think is a good sign for kind of a niche genre that kind of released in a crowded uh, a crowded month. So I believe it took. Uh, I don't know how long it took Octopath to sell a million, but it seems like it was it's about a month. month around the same pace. So this was after two weeks. So the 800,000 mark is um, two weeks in. So I think that seems pretty good to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really surprised that like, I'm really glad that it's like, it's taking off. Like it, it, it I'm, from where I'm sitting and from, you know, the, the circles that I kind of take a peek at, like, it feels like there's a bit a more muted response for this game. Like, I don't see a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, it seems like more, there's more energy around Elden Ring still and Stranger of Paradise. Yeah. So, but it's yeah, it's cool I, to see a, that this this game has taken off. Like, I, it's yeah, I'm surprised it even sold that much. I was expecting like maybe three hundred thousand copies most. Yeah. The possible the, the the cynic and the, the the most cynical way you could look at this is that is that like Nintendo just massively overshipped to retailers or something. But that's only if you want to be a cynic. Yeah, we never we're never cynics. We're always optimists here. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I mean, I'm glad that uh, strategy RPGs are still very alive and well, and that you know a, a more closer to Final Fantasy Tactics Tactics Ogre type of strategy RPG can sell this well uh, still in the modern day. That's that's crazy to me. Definitely good to see. Um, with as hesitant as Square has been, it seems like anymore to do this kind of old school Tactics Ogre slash Tactics style of game. 
to see it doing well in such a short amount of time. It's like the, yeah, it's certainly because it's like that. This kind of shiny RPG, like a certain flavor to it. Like not a lot of people will gravitate towards it. Mm-hmm. So it's an acquired taste almost. So we have a couple other little footnotes here at the very end. Just uh, just a couple interesting tidbits of news, and one of which is about Full Metal Alchemist, the mobile game. And I don't know much about this, but Josh just told me I have to talk about this. So yeah. Josh. I will never well, forgive Square Enix and whoever else. I they released a new trailer for this Full Metal Alchemist mobile game. It was like announced a few months back, and I hate it because it actually looks pretty cool. Like it, it plays out like as a strategy RPG, but then like the battle scenes like play out like a three D arena fighting game. So like you know I have to actually play that part. It's just a strategy RPG part, and like the whole presentation and graphical quality and fidelity to it look like really fucking cool and like all the all the all like all the icons for characters in the strategy rpg part have like custom icons for like what they do and it's really adorable and like fuck man full alchemist is like such a cool property and like to to see like this new cool game and it's like oh but it's like a a mobile game structure and then you can already see like the stamina stamina currency and like gotcha currency and whatever else on it and like I'm just heartbroken a little because it looks really cool. Um, yeah, I will. So you want to bring to it up because mobile, it looks interesting, but you can yeah. kind of already see through the framework and knowing how the game yeah. actually like operates. It, it's a, yeah, like because you know you go, you go through the story of that game and like you know all the significant events, and then like the the story is laid out like uh, sort of like how you know Valkyria Chronicles like did like its newspaper uh, aesthetic for its stage selection. It has that, and like I'm really a sucker for that <laughs> as well. Man, Full Metal Alchemist deserves better. I mean, this looks already great, but if this was like just not a mobile gotcha game, like oh, I say, they're chasing after that gotcha money. It's gonna end up like Blaze Blue Dark War all over again. No, there's no. This looks significantly better than Blaze Blue Dark War. People actually gobble this up because it actually looks like the production values actually look really fucking good for this game, unlike Dark War. So yeah, that's my little tidbit of like. We also got uh, an update in case anyone was looking forward to it. Uh, EA Play Live, which is EA's summer E3 adjacent thing, is skipping this year. So they say they will reveal more when the time is right, but it just won't be this summer. Um, they aren't lining up and to a, show and you a everything on one day. Or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Bioware fans cry in sorrow. Yeah, basically. Uh, I yeah, still... Uh, this is such a weird thing to associate with EA Play, but I went to I went to the one that was like E3 2018. It was one of the very first ones they did, uh, and I just remember the chairs they had were like ass destroyers. They were just like the most uncomfortable <laughs> seating arrangements ever. So that's what I associate with EA Play Live, uh, for better or for worse. But we will not have one this year, digitally or obviously in person. Um, they 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 had they had like weird influencer uh, slip ups during the broadcast. Oh yeah, where they just like highlighted the the, the they got the streamers to play Battlefront two or whatever, and it was just I don't know, seemed yeah, very I mean, kind yeah. of wide net approach. Yeah, I mean, EA still has like a lot to fucking show. Like we still don't know anything about the new Mass Effect or the new Dragon it's Age. It's possible. Really. I know there's like murmurs now that like Jedi Fallen Order two will be announced on May the fourth. Oh, okay. we'll see. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, they, they already alluded that they're working on a follow up to that. 
So that'll be interesting to see. Who knows what? Who knows what any of these will ship? If any, if this year they have that Dead Space remake that was recently announced to come early next year. And there's the spiritual successor to Dead Space that was announced before the remake too. The one, yeah, the one that was set, takes place in the PUBG universe. Yeah. Oh, I oh, forgot man. about that. What was yeah. that called? Oh god, I the something protocol, the Callisto protocol, I think. Oh yeah, I, I remember like when that was announced. It was like the fact that it was like connected to PUBG was just like hidden in like the press release or whatever, yeah. like in a random sentence. It's like, wait, what? That's like the probably the headliner thing of that. Then. Like that does that's like the main thing. That's like the most memorable, memorable thing about it. It's like it's made by the the original devs of Dead Space, and it's set in the PUBG universe. And it's like it like and like the team was like on the moon. It's like ah yes, I remember all the fucking PUBG matches on the moon. I still haven't quite registered or worked through that PUBG has a universe at all. I, the, the thing I love about PUBG is all the crazy fucking collaborations that the mobile game has. Like, they have, they're have they having one for, like, Warframe, and then the, previously they've done it, like, with, like, Haruhi Suzumiya and Gak, and it's, like, it's just all over the place. Like, uh, I, I'm still if you're, not if, over an hour or two. Yeah, if you're a property on this earth, you probably collabed with PUBG Mobile. And the last bit is another thing that Josh was eager to talk about, and this involves uh, Lost Ark, which obviously we talked about at length on a couple podcasts back in February when it released. Um, Amazon and Smilegate, the developer, have released a message to fans about one of the more recent updates that has been somewhat contentious. Uh, Josh, give me the context, and is this message a good one or a frustrating one? Um, This message is an okay one to at least acknowledge, but obviously actions speak louder than words, so who's... Uh, who knows? Uh, th- this is uh, about the very divisive, contentious decision to release an endgame raid early in the game's life cycle in the West. This is uh, the Argos raid that you need an item level 1370, which is pretty damn high to reach to even access it and start doing it. And then you'll get a lot of like end- really good endgame equipment out of it to start upgrading that. So that's kind of the real big allure of it. But they released it like just barely a month after the game has launched in the West. And that is that to many, many, many people, me included, feel that it was way too soon. And they even acknowledge in this message that it was released way too soon because now people like me uh, have this big, like, lingering FOMO feeling, even though it shouldn't be, but it like, I'm like trying to like get to that 1370 item level and the, the amount of mats. Uh, to reach that item level at this point in the game so early on is absurd because it's so... The ways you accrue those uh, upgrade mats are very limited uh, and, like, it will make you feel pressure to, like, like buy more of those mats from the marketplace, which require gold. And, like, you can earn gold through through the game through organic means, but you can also use real money to buy gold and then, like, you know, purchase the uh, them directly that way and 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 those mats already on the marketplace in the west are already inflated from other regions because of like bots and other external factors that are uh, inflating that marketplace so right now the game is just not at a great state of like end game where a lot of people feel like oh i'm missing out on argos and I have to make this track to 1370 and like the 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 chances, like everything in the in the in the game when it comes to upgrading, is based on chance. So, like early on in your upgrades, you'll be have a hundred percent chance. But then, as you get further and further 
into the game and get like higher gear and like start upgrading them to re- increase your item level the chance to have a successful upgrade on a certain like say my weapon i want to get it to like plus 13 to plus 14 because that'll raise my item level it'll make it more powerful it requires a lot of mats per attempt to upgrade this and the base like chance to upgrade this just like on your first time is like 15 percent and then yeah. after every after every successive failure that that percentage will go up by like two per like like one and a half to two percent and then it'll reach like a, a once if you fail all those upgrades after consuming all those mats per attempt um it'll eventually reach a pity state of like 30 percent and like it'll automatically jump to a hundred percent chance because you reached like a pity state uh saying okay you can have that this free this free upgrade because you failed so many times to to upgrade it and that just feels it's like draining soul draining soul crushing almost so and you really really want to try to get to that item level 1370 so it just it just feels bad because you're trying to work towards something that like other people have already access to maybe a lot of your friends have already access to because you know they really game the market or some of them may have put in real money for you know a crazy low chance to you know upgrade stuff and it just it just feels really bad so you know uh smilegate and amazon games you know the, the uh coincidentally enough uh this message came out a day later after popular uh youtuber asmongold put out a message you know uh addressing this problem to to the public and to his followers and you know he's a obviously a really 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 big influencer in that field so i'm sure the timing is just coincidental and they maybe well, we're already planning to release this message i have to assume because it was just a day later but you know th- this is like this has been like the hot topic around surrounding lost ark weeks after the game the game has launched in the west and it it does feel a little bit bad so in response to this uh problem um you know the smilegate and amazon games are starting to reconsider um the la- the the rollout of future um end game raids because they were the, originally they were supposed to have like a new end game raid after argos to hit like i think sometime next month and it's like it's like and that's already a, ha- a higher item level to go in and it's like maybe they're reconsidering pushing that back and trying to like you know get the player base to like a com- comfortable state i have to imagine but who knows they haven't really specified yet on if they're gonna do that but as like as a as a way to hopefully you know fix some problems now they're starting to like inject some honing materials into the economy with uh new event stuff so like event guardian rage which is like the monster hunter mode um they're gonna start implementing that into the game uh sometime soon i think next week um i'll see how that uh, rolls out for maybe getting uh my upgrades there they also will have uh, adjustments to the ongoing event the grand prix event which is kind of like a like a light Mario Kart mode, which is pretty fun. Like, you know, to it, it shows up at certain times of the day. And then like you can like race other players uh around obstacles for that. And then there's an event shop because you get currency from that and other dailies to like exchange to an event shop vendor to get honing materials and other uh helpful materials that aren't, you know, just strictly uh upgrade related. And then they'll finally roll out like, you know, the the PvP shop because like uh there'll be adding rank pvp and then after you participate through rank pvp you'll get currency from that where you can exchange it to an, uh, another shop vendor 
for more of that stuff. And then they'll have gifts, you know, including like and new animal skins, new Makoko pet selections, um, um, and other uh, other goodies and rewards. But they've addressed it. They said, "Hey, we made a misstep uh, rolling this Argos raid out too soon," and you know, hopefully. Hopefully they they get this uh, game uh, back on the right track because it is a really really cool game that I want to continue and it's still doing really well on Steam right yeah still, like, yeah. yeah it's still doing pretty well so I have, like maybe over five hundred k concurrent players usually it's, it's, just, it's just hard not to compare it to something like New World that had like was flash in the pan then immediately fell off it seems like this yeah. one has some staying power yeah uh, this I'm it's slightly to... more uh, popular right now than Babylon's Fall by just, <laughs> just, just, just a little bit. <laughs> I was gonna say, would they have like the Korean roadmap to know some kind like this and would prevent some kind of mistake? Because I, I could have swore that they did something stupid in the Korean version and they said that they wouldn't do anything as stupid in in the Amazon. I, I mean, I mean, the like the first year of Lost Ark was like hell, from what I heard, like in Korea. Like I, I don't know too much about like because I didn't really read up on like the life cycle of the game, but there there have definitely been like some pitfalls. Uh, especially like the the Jap- Japan version of um, Lost Ark, there seems to be like a whole can of worms surrounding that release that like I kind of read up on, but I didn't understand too much. So I mean, it it just seems to be you know it's a it's a normal thing for an MMO to like kind of have its ups and downs. So hopefully you know, it's fine. It's kind of stupid. Like you already like know someone screwed up over there, and you could use that you know those missteps to prevent it yeah, <laughs> they it, still it, fumbled. It, yeah it's difficult you know because like it, like it's hard like for uh, just from the offset right now to not feel like hey like the western version do- doesn't seem to feel like the priority for them because at, at a certain point in the game when you reach level 50 you'll get like these event timers uh because there are numerous numerous events in the game that are very time sensitive some only appear in certain days some only appear at certain hours of the day and like and they all have like important stuff to collect uh, in those things, like if you're working towards a specific thing in the game, and like those in-game like timers, you can customize to like say, "Hey, only alert me for this like certain type of event because that's what I need." But all those times were screwed up in daylight because of daylight savings time, and that only got corrected just barely yesterday. You know, so it's been almost like a full week of this just like totally being like off sync, and that's like for some like important uh, events in the game. And I understand that like it's. I, it must be very difficult from a very program uh, programming standpoint to like kind of fix that. But they 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 announced that like hey, I think it was like sun like Sunday or Monday, like hey, we're gonna roll out a patch that that'll fix this. Like okay, cool. Like you know, it was off for a little bit, and then they roll out that patch, and it seemingly did like absolutely nothing. You know, there's no change and like no communication uh, on, on to say oh like we acknowledge that it's still broken. So like I would have been I would have been more forgiving if like they didn't even like just announce anything at all saying like hey we're gonna have a fashion fix this and then they had little little bit out and they fixed nothing and then like there were already like certain patches that like broke like certain like monster hunter monsters like cycles like like in an attempt to balance them for like early game like they kind of made them break in new ways so it's just like it's kind of like this weird tug of war thing of like uh, like what are we doing here you know like they acknowledge this yes that's a that's a good first step but Actions speak louder than words, so we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Well, it, it sounds it, like they're right. saying the right things mostly, even though sometimes their timing seems to be off in terms of announcing a fix and then not quite fixing it until later. So, sounds like politicians right now. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 
So, you know, hopefully, hopefully he gets back on the right track. Like, hopefully this is like this early misstep. It's going to be like a, a blip. And, uh, you know, as time goes on, it's like, okay, uh, thankfully they finally eventually reach a place where like everyone's satisfied because like it, it's, it's now hard to like, it's hard to like implement like severe changes because like eventually like in Korea and in Russia, they eventually like released an update that like made like this uh part of the game much more forgiving in the sense that like they they boosted like honing chances and they uh, made it so less mats were consumed per attempt on that. They but they eventually got to that after you know more and more updates down the line and they didn't want to like introduce that too early for whatever reason in the West. So now they can they can't easily implement that at this moment to like uh address this uh, the this whole uh ordeal because now the people who have reached that state would feel like they got gypped if they introduced that change, you know, for that for the people who really grinded up to that level and consumed like, you know, a shitload. They would feel like, oh, yeah, you're fucking me by doing that. It's uh it's it's finicky now. It's like a weird balance. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, I have I have one more thing to share. Uh, this was listed as the last thing on our Google Doc, but I have one more thing to share before we close it out. Yes. So uh, on, uh, let's see, yeah, March eighteenth at nine fourteen a.m. Uh, Pacific uh, Daylight Time, uh, the Babylon's Fall underscore en Twitter tweets. Today, we have revealed new information about version 1.1.0, the near automata collaboration event, and the future of Babylon's fall development. This is what the, the, they, they put one of those great twi- text images in Twitter because they had something more to say. So here is what it says. Uh, all in caps, the question, is the continuing service in danger? They respond, no. There are no plans to reduce the scale of development on Babylon's fall. Content up to the end of Season 2 is now practically complete, and we have started to work on Season 3 and beyond. We will continue to provide new content for the game and make improvements based on player feedback, striving to keep existing players playing and to attract newcomers. We would like to thank all Sentinels already enjoying the world of Babylon's Fall as we look forward to welcoming more of you in the future by the Babylon's Fall development team. Well, well, at least they sound say. really confident. They they sound uh, they're they're establishing their stance. I, they have really I, strong faith. Yeah, I I hope for them that they manage to make things better. But I am not going to play that game unless they absolutely <laughs> completely change yeah. the graphical style. It is wild to me that barely two weeks after the the game has like you know launched, they already have to put up this thing say, "Is the continuing service in danger?" Well, I mean, Josh, let's put it in perspective. There's currently more people playing Final Fantasy XI than Babylon's Fall. Yeah, but Final Fantasy XI is still popular. I mean, if you talk to like some random strangers, they always say, oh, it's my favorite game of all time, you know? I still uh, go back to it sometimes. I'm not so sure about that, but the point being is that a nearly 20-year-old uh, Square MMO has more active players than a uh, just-released... Games as a service. Well, if VTubers can save PC gaming in Japan, can they save Babylon's Fall? Do we need to have well, and what's strange is really the co-op aspect of Stranger is very fills very much the same hole as Babylon's Fall wants to. 
Yeah, <laughs> oddly enough, like the like the 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 combat in Stranger is probably what the combat should have been in Babylon's Fall. To be honest, like yeah. how responsive. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. So we'll see. They 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 are very adamant in saying, "Look, we already have season two fucking done, and we and we promised you we were about to start work on season three, and after that." So it's just like it's really funny how the way they phrased this. It's just like, all right. I guess. Thank you. And I, I have to wonder because Adam and I were talking about this. Like, why the fuck would you do this? Why would you? This seems like a bad move to like just share, you know. But in my mind, it's like maybe they're just trying to like kind of encourage the bleeding. They're kind of like they're trying to like reassure people. It's like, okay, no, don't worry. If you buy in right now, we promise you won't stop support. It's 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 cool. It's cool. We're cool, right? This, it's cool. This we have no plans to change uh, the on- incoming content for Babylon's Fall tweet is is uh, causing a lot of questions. That this uh, we do not have any plans to change the incoming Babylon's Fall content tweet has already answered. And, and friend of the site Tony, who has been playing uh, it and uh, keeping us uh, informed on like how Babylon's Fall is doing. Apparently, like the just like the event stuff is like super grindy. Uh, as well, so and that doesn't feel good. And like, apparently, there were like, uh, n- new patches in Babylon's Fall, and like, to introduce events to get people to play together for some story stuff. And he's like, he's like, even then, with all that, I still can't matchmake with other people. I still can't find any people to go <laughs> to go through this content with. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, at first there was the uh, argument that it was like he had early access and then people just weren't playing yet, but now it's like he still can't get people. <laughs> I was just like, well, well the know. Steam numbers, and granted, you have more people playing on consoles that or the PlayStation that's not oh. taken into account, but I mean, all time high of like 360 people for something like that ain't ain't sunshine and rainbows, you know. I mean, are we sure that there's really that many more people playing on PlayStation? Really, though? No. I don't know. It sounds like sink cost fallacy at this point. It's like maybe they put so much money on this and they just can't let it bomb. Okay, okay. I have to imagine at this very moment, do you think more than 1,000 people are playing that game across all consoles? No. no. Good vote of confidence. I, I just find it amazing that, like, it's still implied that Sony paid to keep this game off of Xbox. <laughs> Thumbs up. Really? You, know, you win some, you lose some. Well, that covers it for our news rundown for this episode of the podcast. So getting a few more release dates and a few more updates on some live service games, some seemingly uh, good like Genshin Impact and optimistic and some not so much like uh, Babylon's Fall. But maybe we will be eating crow in a year because because they just have so many neat things planned. I sure. promise you, I'll eat crow. Uh, this game I mean, is more popular. I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll turn it around like they did before. <laughs> I can't finish that. I, I I recently watched a live like a like a, a live stream, not a live stream, but like a, a vod of like a, a live stream that happened uh, hours ago for Babylon's Fall, showing off the near collab content. Maybe, man. Maybe that's what it needs. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, the the near collab is, you know, that's a white whale that you never see anywhere else. People will come to yeah. Babylon's Fall for that because you can't you can't get that anywhere else. And obviously not. No, no other property has ever got a near collab besides nope. this game. I mean, it's not like we just got a remake of the uh, 
first near game last year or anything. I mean, we just haven't gotten near games. That's true. That's true. If you, if you haven't played uh, Replicant version 1.2, it's still a good game. You should play it there. We're ending this on a high note. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for joining Scott to talk about your experience with uh, Stranger of Paradise. And of course, we will thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, sticking around through the whole podcast, even through the news section. Um, and we will likely talk about Stranger of Paradise maybe next week, uh, uh, depending on if we get more people uh, time to get through it. But otherwise, yeah, March is a packed month, and we'll be uh, talking about all the other games that release as we get, you know, to Triangle Strategy or to Relayer or to Atelier Sophie Two back from February. Uh, we'll see what you know people fit into their schedules and what ends up being the topic du jour once we get to those. Uh, we do have the three reviews up on the site for Stranger of Paradise, for Atelier Sophie Two, and for Chocobo GP. Maybe we can convince Colin if we give him enough heads up to talk about his experience with that game uh, in person. Otherwise, you can go ahead and read his thoughts on the site. And we do also have the um, all the news that we talked about up on the site as well. And I will also shout out Adam's RPGs of 2022 list. Uh, if you just Google that, you should be able to find it pretty, pretty easily because usually it's one of the top hits for if you're not Keeping track on what's releasing when, Adam does a really good job every week of making sure that that stays updated, including both release dates and consoles that it releases on. Uh, you can find us on any social media platform. You're, we have just search for RPG site on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. And we do have the Discord channel. Just You can hit the link at our top of our homepage or just go to discord.gg slash RPG site. And we will be back next week with another episode of the TetraCast. So until then, stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you later. It's Jack time.